Greetings and welcome to the Quest for Wisdom podcast, where we search for nuggets of wisdom from the lives of some truly amazing people. Today's episode with our guest Bobby Bastos is a harrowing account of his life as a 13-year-old child prostitute in the streets of LA and his recovery from a meth addiction. We talk about prostitution, paedophilia, addiction, supernatural experiences, and Bobby's recent homophobic attack, which left him hospitalized. Nowadays, Bobby is a comedian, storyteller, and drag queen, going by the name Snortella Deline, and he has a huge impact in the Barcelona performance scene. He is crass, crude, and unafraid to say what's on his mind, and we love him for it. To find Bobby online, check the links in the description. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Welcome, welcome, Bobby Bastos, to the 16th episode of the Quest for Wisdom podcast. 69. How does that make you feel? It makes me feel great. I mean, honestly, I've been looking forward to this. Who was it that talked to me? Um, uh, Virginia. She's like, I just did Connor's podcast. I'm like, I'm supposed to do that. She's like, well, why don't you do it? I'm like, because I haven't gotten the confirmation email that he was supposed to send me. She goes, oh. Like... It was a bad thing. Like no, she you knew. were supposed to send me the confirmation no, email. No, you said, did you get the email yet? And I said, no, not yet. And I'd been waiting for the email from you to say something. You know, I got the letter. Right. And then... But on the letter, it says RSVP to this email. I did. Oh. I did. And I responded to you, but you didn't and get you it. And you did, and I didn't get it. Ah, uh, okay. And so I, I did respond right away. I was like, I got the golden ticket. <laughs> I felt like, you know, Willy Wonka's chocolate, cha- uh, chocolate factory. And I was just like, yes. You know, I'm like, I got it. And like, the, the fucking, it's amazing. First of all, if you haven't seen his delivery of uh, an invite, it comes very um, uh, Vampire's Diary kind of thing. Or like, you know, like, like interview with a vampire sealed with like a bloody red uh, wax stamp. I think I picked, I have different colors. I think I picked red for you because I thought you'd enjoy the red. Oh, it was great. I was just like, you see this is sealed with blood love. I'm just like, yo. And you know, it's great. And my, my husband's like, should I just throw this away? I'm like, do not throw that away. <laughs> throw that away. How <laughs> dare you ask that? I, that was sealed with somebody's blood. I mean, this is probably baby blood or it's probably Emma's like uh, menstrual blood. I don't care. <laughs> you can't throw this stuff away. I'm one of those motherfuckers that, that hold on to sentimental mental things for way too long. Like, like I don't know. I still have my first condom <laughs> after I used it. <laughs> just joking. No, but I mean, it's just like that where it, it was like, uh, it was, um, I was honored to be asked, first of all, like in person. Yeah. And then when I got the, the mail, and the, because I just moved to uh, Sagrada Familia, mm-hmm. which means I don't yet have a key to my mailbox. Uh. You know? Um, so, Waiting for that to come and then not being able, my, my landlord only comes during the weekend. Mm-hmm. So waiting and waiting and then waiting for him to show up and then to see if there's anything in the post for me. Yeah. Was fucking hell. And well, then, I'm, very, I'm very glad to have you here now. I've been really looking forward to this. All right. Um, I think you're lying. You are. I'm not lying. I'm <laughs> no, really looking right. forward to it. You can um, offend a British guy by calling him liars. <laughs> do, do not call me a liar. I'm <laughs> many things, but not I a liar. I think you're lying. Um, <laughs> You are a drag queen, Mm -hmm. you are a comedian, you are a public speaker, and you are a recovering drug addict. I am. um, am. And ex-prostitute. Yes. Um, So... Well, it depends. 
I mean, well, okay, you know, maybe we'll find I mean, out about we'll, that. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Um, and you are also a man in his fifties who's looking very good. Thank you. Um, Thank you. So maybe I'm we can hit. <laughs> yeah, maybe it is. <laughs> gay men don't age until we turn eighty. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking that because there are a lot of very good-looking yeah. older men yeah. strolling around here. Did you just call me older? Oh. Older than myself. Oh, okay. <laughs> that could be a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, and also you're also human, added yeah. to that list of things. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, where do we get started with this? Can you tell us a little bit about where did you grow up first? And also, first of all, you just explained to me your name, Bobby Bastos, because your yeah. real name is Robert Marquez, yes. correct? Yes. And you just explained to me the where Bobby Bastos came yeah. from, and I like that. So can you explain it again? Please? Yeah, Bobby Bastos. I started a radio program on Barcelona City FM. I'm not plugging them. They no longer have the same manager. But I got a job there um, doing a uh, radio program one mm -hmm. hour a week uh, on the worst day possible. It was a Sunday at 6 o'clock in the afternoon. Or no, no, it was even worse than that, 11 o'clock in the morning, like past prime time. Mm -hmm. But um, I got to the point where um, they were like, what are you going to call the radio program? Like, you got to give yourself a name. I'm like, I can't go by Robert Marquez. Why? And then so next thing you know, um, I thought about my mom. My mom passed away in a car accident back in 2005. And... Um, uh, I wanted to give homage to her when I inherited the name mm -hmm. Bobby Bastos because she called me Bobby as a child, which is, you know, a lot of Spanish people don't understand what a nickname is or the, word, really? the, the word nickname, you know. Ah. Uh, so um, Bobby came from the, from the name Robert. Uh, and Bastos, ironically, it sounds like a real name, doesn't it? Bobby Bastos. Yeah. It means vulgar or nasty in, in Tagalog, which is my parents' uh, native language. Is that Indonesia? No, Philippines. Philippines, yeah. sorry, yeah. So, you racist. <laughs> 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 so, I, um, I decided to call myself Bobby Bastos on the radio program. Um, Bobby meaning, she would call me Bobby when I was a child. You know, and I hated it. I hated it with a passion because it just sounds so nicky. You know, like like Bobby, Bobby Alicadito, which means Bobby, come here. You know, like, and I was just like, don't call me Bobby, mom. Don't. So your mother tongue is Tagalog. Not mine. Okay. My parents, but then I speak Tagalog, okay. ironically, because a lot of people that move to the USA from the Philippines forget how to speak Tagalog. I don't know what that's about. Philippine, people in Philippines are really good at English, though, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They are, but their English is very broken. You know, they sound like this all the time. Hi, my name is Robert. <laughs> I have perfect English. You can't even tell that I'm from the Philippines. <laughs> you know, and they always have this, like, mm, I guess, like a, a tone. Uh, no, uh, uh, what do you call them? Mm, what do you call them? Uh, the, uh, I forget the word. I'm at a loss for words. But uh, the way that it sounds like a song, almost. Yeah. Hi, my name sonorous, is Robert. I think the sonorous. No, that's not the word I was looking for, but yeah. Um, but anyways, so my mom called me Bobby when I was a child. As I got older into my teens and whatnot, I would always tell her jokes. And my jokes were often vulgar, you know. Um, so she would say, I, I'm Bastos Mo Bobby, which means, oh, yeah, Bobby, you're, you're nasty. You know, so she would always say, I Bastos. 
Aibastos, which means you're so nasty, you're so I nasty. Hope you, I hope you weren't telling her the caliber of jokes that you tell yeah, these days. No, no, no. I would tell her some like... Because <laughs> you tell some very <laughs> vulgar jokes. I, I would tell her like some really nasty jokes. And she would laugh at them, but she would almost look like she... Because she was a devout Catholic. Oh, uh, okay. You know, at the same time, she would like to hear... She liked hearing my jokes, but she would uh, call me Bastos because she felt guilty about laughing about them. You know, and so... Um, when when I took the the radio name Bobby Bastos, it was always an homage to my mom, okay. uh, because those were the two things that she always called me as an as a a teen and as a child, Bobby oh. and Bastos. So yeah, that's where that. Well, name it's a cool name. Thank it's a cool you. stage name. Right. right. Um, Eventually, I'd like to take it on as the stage name for uh, for com- comedy and whatnot, because it's just it, I, I. It's one of those names as well where it like. It's sort of a universal name yeah. where it kind of rolls off the tongue and like yeah. it could be said in Spanish easily. It yeah. could be said in English. It could be said in loads of languages yeah. easily. It's just yeah. like a very neutral yeah. Yeah. sounding name. Yeah. So I think it's a very good one. Yeah. It's got a good tang to it. It's got a good it, roll know. to it. It does, doesn't it? Let's talk about rolls. <laughs> um, so, so when did you then, because where did you grow up? I grew up in Los Angeles, okay. um, born and raised. I'm an Angelino, one of the natives, um, which is very hard to find in Los Angeles, actually, because, uh, as you know, a lot of people migrate to Los Angeles to become a star, to become an actor, become a dancer, become a singer. Everything that they find in the streets of gold is in Los Angeles, which (laughs) it blows my mind because it really isn't. um, That's where all the casting directors are. But at the same time, I feel like, uh, for example, it's now in uh, Bollywood, has become yeah. like this like rising thing. I'm just like, but there's no there's no American that wants to go to India to become famous. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm just like, but if that's where it's at, you gotta go. But they don't want to go. Is Hollywood in L.A.? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever been? I I don't know. I went to America when I was six, um, and we went to Florida. Oh. And we went to like. Um, the theme parks and stuff like that but yeah. I don't really remember very much I went to Georgia and Savannah oh so you really, stayed on the east coast yeah I don't really know the geography of, of the US very well but yeah well, we basically did that we basically did what that what kind of British no so wait, so wait I definitely didn't go to LA because that's the yeah, west yeah, isn't yeah, it yeah, that's yeah the west. no I definitely didn't go there yeah, then. yeah, yeah. Um, um, one place you should definitely go put it on your bucket list is New Orleans New Orleans yeah Emma went there yeah New Orleans is so magical I've been there five times uh, just because I love it so much um, rumor is there's a house there. Rumor there is. <laughs> rumor there's ga- uh, gators there too. Oh. Gators in the Everglades. No. I I love it because um, the last time I went there, uh, you know the, the it's kind of like uh, Las Ramblas, mm-hmm. but it's more like uh, to the voodoo side of it. You okay. know, so there's a lot of these uh, fake uh, tarot card readers, crystal ball readers, these people that will put a spell on you or remove a spell on oh, you, really? blah, blah, blah. So, you know, they've got their little kiosks going on. And this one voodoo queen, she looks at me. I was high off my ass, high. We'll talk about my drugs. But I was with my ex-boyfriend, high off my butt. And uh, she looked at me almost like peering into my fucking soul. And she goes, you... Come here now. It was her like fake Jamaican accent in my head. I'm sitting there going, "Oh God, here we go." I'm like, "I got no money. I need." And if I did have money, I'd be getting high, you know. <laughs> so I was coming down, <laughs> and she calls me over. I walk over there to her, and she says to me, 
She goes, I am not going to charge you for nothing, nothing. She goes, but I need to tell you, you are in a place that is lost to you. You have lost your way. But I will tell you right now, you already have your wings. Oh. And I was just like, what are you talking about? Bitch, you can tell I'm flying high. I was just like freaking out. And then some guy takes a picture of us having, and then she does this whole like, she looks at him, she puts up her two fingers like this, and she says, you are not allowed to take my picture. You are taking my soul. Yeah, they have, they have things where they don't, you can't take a picture of And people. she's like, if you ask me to take my picture, I will say yes, do not. And then she's like, I will curse you. You walk away now. And I was just like, yo, okay, I'm a believer. After I heard that, <laughs> I don't know why I didn't believe anything she was saying until that moment. And then I was just like, oh, I got my wings. She goes, don't worry about anything in your life. You already have your wings. I'm still waiting for those wings to show up. But yeah, that's, apparently. That's crazy. Yeah, because I remember when I was, I went to Colombia. Yeah. And I went to this um, like kind of famous, mainly fruit market, but there's loads of other stuff in it. Yeah. And they have a witchcraft section with like all these magic soaps yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. And there was just everywhere saying like, no photos, no photos. And I asked the guy and he was like, yeah, they believe that taking a photo basically steals their soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like. Like just like what you said, I was like, "Well, that makes total sense." Yeah, 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 right, right. <laughs> I was like, mm, "Now I believe it." <laughs> okay, now my camera's away. <laughs> but I had I had a similar experience with like a, a an older lady like that. She was um she's the mother of a, a girl that I met. Yeah, yeah. And she was a um she was a Playboy bunny. Which, so she was taken to Hugh Hefner's mansion when she oh, was wow. like sixteen. Did you have sex with her, by the way? I didn't have sex oh. with her. No, no. Why? Um. Uh. No, no way. Regrettably. Um, no, no, no. What the girl or the mother? Oh, both. Neither, neither. neither. No, okay. no, no, no. Um, <laughs> and um, the mother. So she was at my house. Like I had a party there, and um, I was like, I was really high as well. The and mother was there. The mother was there. You invited the mom. She was visiting the girl that I, at the time I didn't even know the girl. Oh, okay. So I, I basically met the girl and the mother at the same day. They came along through okay. another guy I knew. All right. Um, and then I was really high and I was like talking all the shit to her, and then. She was like, why are you still taking all these drugs? And I was like, well, they're teaching me things, you know. And at the time, I thought they were. <laughs> and, you know, like, I was doing a lot of kind of, like, self-therapy on myself, yeah. just hammering MDMA yeah. and ketamine and, like, yeah. going real deep into myself. And it it did s sort of work, but yeah. then you do have to stop. Yeah, yeah. And then she was like, yeah, but you already have all the answers that you need. Yeah. You've done it. Stop. Yeah. And I was like... Oh, right. That's and I stopped like two weeks later and That's just didn't, didn't take drugs right again. Because I was like, wait a minute. Were you addicted right. to them, though? Do you feel like you were like out of control? Do you feel like you needed it? Do you feel like at that life time, was yeah. unmanageable? Yeah. Uh, at that time, yeah. Like, um, I was, um, it was, that was towards the, I'd, I'd always been able to keep a fairly good grasp on it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was hammering like probably three or four days a week. Yeah taking loads of pills, MDMA and yeah. ketamine um, for three or four days a week for like four years. Okay. Did you get uh, any sober time in that four years? Well, like three days per week. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean like sober time, meaning like you stepped away from the drug and said, listen, I need to take a break from the drug. Or did you just go rolling all the way through four years um, with three days a week off? There was, there was a, a period of like... A month or two when I was in Brazil, mm -hmm. I don't think I took any drugs there. But huh. I was then also on medication. Um, oh, you're one of those that care about the medication slash uh, drug use ratios. 
No, I was on medication the whole time anyway. Oh, okay. And actually, the medication was making it easier for me to take drugs. Okay. Because okay. it was like making the, it was making the the, the side effects of drugs yeah. less. Yeah. Um, and it it was like, it was the the medication was leveling out the fiendishness inside of me. So usually, like when I used to drink or take drugs, yeah. I would have this horrible just feeling of like I need more, 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 more. Yeah. That's like I'm sure that you understand. Yeah. When I was on the medication, I didn't have that feeling as much, so I was much, I was able to stop easier. Yeah. Yeah. But I would still go on like three or four day benders. Yeah. But I used to have, I had Valium on prescription, so okay. it meant that I could be quite like disciplined and say, right, it's eight o'clock in the morning. I'm going to take some Valium. I'll yeah. go to sleep for five hours. Then I'll get back up and I'll start taking drugs again. Okay. So then it's like yeah, I yeah. was getting at least sometimes five hours of sleep. Woo-hoo. But then during like. <laughs> During, and that was when I had to work, you know. That was only so that I could then actually get up for work on a Monday. Yeah. But then when I was, when, during COVID, then when I went to Brazil and I came back, I didn't work for like 20 months. Yeah. Um, and then during COVID, obviously there was nothing to do. I had no job and yeah. nothing else to do. Yeah. And then I was just taking drugs like every day, yeah. all Co- day, every day. COVID fucked me up. And too. not sleeping at all. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was pretty mental. Yeah. But um, I think that, MDMA and ketamine, they don't have the same addictiveness as something like Coke or meth. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you want more, but also you're sort of a little bit scared of taking more. Yeah. Because they're quite like yeah. intense in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the come down on, on MDMA is fucking horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. I mean, coming down off of cocaine or crystal meth, it's not like, I want to die. You know, it's not like that. You just want more. You know, or you fiend for more, but you don't go into this like uh, like heroin as well. Heroin, you want to kill yourself if you don't get the fix. Mm. Um, I'm I'm glad I never got hooked on things like heroin uh, yeah. or things that make you like just like unbearably in like unbearable pain. You know what I mean? Um, the fiending was was intense. Uh, when I when before COVID, I had uh, reached. 16 years of uh, straight sobriety. Oh, really? Like no, no drugs, no alcohol, none of that. And then the, the, the pandemic, the, the um, quarantine fucked me up big mm. time, like it did. Like um, being such a social person, a person that's very active in the comedy scene, throwing shows. I had had uh, a one-man show planned up for, for my birthday, which was uh, May 1st of ni- uh, 2020. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to be turning 50. I wanted that big black cake for my mm-hmm. birthday. You know, like that, that, you know, that, that Grim Reaper cake. Yeah. I wanted to show my accomplishment at 50 years old. Here I am. I'm a, comedy, a comedian throwing a one-man show. I had been running uh, the radio program at the time. I was doing uh, drag shows at the time. And they were all hits. And I was just mm-hmm. like, all right. I was posting out on, on Facebook and whatnot about uh, letting people know from around the world that came to my, we- my wedding to come to my one-man show, and they were all set. Mm. Everything was set, and then all of a sudden, all of these like breaks came to screeching. And I remember I was holding on, like my cold, dead hand was, like you needed to pry out my hope yeah. that it would be like two weeks of a quarantine, like they said, you know, it's gonna be two weeks. That was in March. It's like, all right, still going there, you know, like full, 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 uh, full speed ahead. We're not gonna. We're not gonna pause this. We're gonna keep hope. There's only two weeks. We're in March. May is coming around the corner, and then it went on and on and on. And I just found myself spiraling into 
a depression, of isolation, of loneliness. Even though I had my husband who was living, we lived together. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, it, my head went cuckoo. It went cuckoo. And I got drugs. And I thought to myself, I'm like, listen, you take a break, you take a drug break, and when this fucking pandemic is over, you can get back off. Yeah. You know? But that's not how it happened. Mm-hmm. It, it took me straight from when I hit rock bottom, it took me straight there. I overdosed during the, uh, during the pandemic. Oh, shit. You know, I went into the hospital. I was in there for like uh, 10 days, I think it was. Um, and, yeah, I, I mean, I went overboard, you know, and it just it, it went crazy with that shit, you know. And it was just, I, it blows my mind. Like, a, a lot of people think, oh, well, you lost all that time. All that, my father especially was very much like, ah, oh, you just lost all that time. You know, that, that, that 16 years, yeah. you lost it. I'm like, no, no, no. And I caught, in my head, I knew how to respond to things like this. Mm. But inside, I, I, I was like beating myself up. Yeah. Like I would sit there and tell my dad, no, dad, it's not like losing your time. It's like changing another job. You have to start from day one in a new job, but you still have that experience, which mm. sounds great. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like, oh, you know what you're talking about, bro. Of course I did, because I've been through the program. But up here, I was psychologically setting myself up to fail again and I and after I got sober after I uh, got clean the first time I went out again a few more times and kept going back and forth back and forth like a yo-yo just because I was fucking with myself in the head like thinking yeah you did lose that that time you fucked it up you fucked it up you know and at the end of the day I was and I would count the days that I'd been off of the drugs I would count it count it and see how many days I had and at a certain point, I realized that counting days fucked me up. Yeah. You know, at this point, I don't even know how many days I have. I have it uh, on a counter at home mm-hmm. uh, on my computer. And I'll check it every once in a while. The last time I checked it, I was over two years, you know. Um, but at the same time, it's like I don't need to know how many days I have. I just need to know that I'm uh, off drugs today. Yeah. You know, which is very important for anybody that's out there that's struggling with drug addiction. You got to remember, it's it's not easy. It's never going to be easy. But um, don't monitor, like, don't be overly proud of how many days you have. Just be proud that you're sober today, that you're clean today. And that's it. You know, that's it. Because all you got is today. You know, yeah. tomorrow might come, tomorrow might not. But yesterday already passed. You got today. I know this sounds very much like program, like very uh, the AA, the 12-step program, but that's what has worked for me, you know. Um, Because I think it's so like, you know, I I can totally understand that that feeling of like disappointment and self-blame and stuff because it's like, oh, I've got this 16 years and then to yourself you think, you know, everyone's so proud of me because I've done 16 years and like I've told people I've done 16 years and now that counter is resetting to zero. Actually, the thing is, I wasn't that, at a certain point, after about eight years of being uh, in recovery, I stopped, like, congratulating myself at the time. Yeah. You know, I was fine. I, I didn't, because uh, in Los Angeles, sobriety is very uh, celebratory. You know, you get a, a month, you get a year, they get you a cake. They get you a fucking cake, and you have to mm. blow out a candle. You know, just like, here they don't do that shit. In Europe or in the East Coast, none of that happens. You know, like nobody gives you a cake. Nobody <laughs> applauds, applauds for everything. Everybody's like, I got one day sober. In L.A., everybody's like, yeah, like a DJ comes out. <laughs> you know, but here it's like everybody who's got less than 24 hours of recovery, let us know. And you get a little chip. 
mm-hmm. you know, a chip that says, you know, I'm, I'm t- one day sober. And that's it. That's a, all the celebration you get out here, which is very much in your face. Like, you lower than <laughs> in my head. And I'm just like, what happened to all the celebratory bullshit? You know, like, yeah, he's a year, he's a day sober. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, yeah. So uh, that's another thing that I've, I've, I've uh, stepped away from is the idea that uh, the 12-step program is the only way to go. I mean, it works. It, don't, don't. I'm not knocking on it because it helped me get sober for yeah. 16 years. But the 12-step program, I have no longer, um, uh, I guess, subscribed to mm-hmm. in my recent recovery just because after knowing the steps and knowing that it fucked, I got fucked up anyways, yeah. I got to find a different way. Um, like they say in the recovery program, um, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again expecting different results. That's kind of like how I'm looking at going back to the 12-step program and yeah. doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting that this won't happen again in 16 years. You know, how are you going to change it? How are you going to, mm, I guess, restructure the idea of the steps that you learned in the 12-step program and apply them today but manifest it in a different way? You know, you know, you understand yeah, what no, I'm saying? I totally understand that. Like, I, I didn't... I, as a person, I tend to be quite like anti-structure. Yeah. It's just how I am. And I got clean and sober here yeah. and I didn't know that like AA or any of those things existed. Yeah. And I also didn't, I I just didn't like the idea of being around other people. I yeah. kind of just like, I've always wanted to do that stuff myself. Yeah. But I have a friend back home who, uh, she got sober from alcohol um, like maybe a year or two after I did. Yeah. And uh, she went to AA and she's been doing it ever since and she absolutely loves it. Yeah. Um, no, no, it works. And I went to a couple of meetings with her last year, I think, just Here to see in what Barcelona. it was. No, in, um, in England, back okay. in England. Okay. Um, England's got some, like, hardcore meetings, man. Yeah. In London, some, there's some, like, man, they're like dinosaurs of the program. Yeah. There's, um, well, like, Russell Brand lives basically, like, in my town. Yeah. And so he's the, he heads one of them, like, one of the local ones. You know it's an anonymous program, right? Yeah, but I think he, <laughs> talk, I think he fucking, talks about I'm it, I'm fucking... Um, <laughs> um, oh, you're not British, are you? But he, um, he... Yeah, so she goes there and she absolutely loves it. And I went to two of the meetings with her. Yeah. And I could see why it's so strong for people, you know, yeah. because, like, they people sometimes they need to feel part of a community yeah, yeah, yeah. and if you're the like the the black sheep that's always yeah. getting wasted and maybe not all your friends are or maybe all your friends are yeah, yeah. and then you're the one that decides not to yeah. you have no one to then relate with when, when, and it's like i can totally see that how it can be so useful for people and yeah. those those days you know adding up and everybody getting their chips and yeah, the cheers and yeah, the awards yeah. but then i was thinking at the time wow if people mess up yeah it must absolutely shatter them because yeah. that support is like adding into you. Yeah, yeah. But then if you do mess up and that gets absolutely smashed apart. No, it doesn't. That's, that's like, the one thing that I give up. That, that I got to like applaud the, the 12 step program is that um, if you do slip, if you do slip, if you fall off the wagon, they're there to pick you up. They are. Like the support system of the 12 step program. But I, I meant more like. Your your I, oh, your yeah. concept of your like yeah. time sober your three hundred and twenty nine days yeah. Yeah. that gets smashed apart yeah, yeah, and yeah. I totally get the support networks there and I, I love it how they have like the I can't remember if they call them mentors or something yeah, or yeah, the they're, people they're the sponsors, sponsors that's yeah. it yeah. and I thought that was that was really cool and just having people to rely upon 
Yeah. Um, and I, I thought it was it was really brilliant. And I think, like you say there, though, that once you get to a certain point, that that's the framework that you need. Yeah. And it's like you have the, the skills that you've learned there, yeah. and then you have to translate those into actual yeah. into your real life yeah, because yeah. you outgrow it, I suppose. You outgrow. Well, the it's just the idea that you're doing this thing again, or or you're. You're repeating things that you already know is going to happen. It's like watching a movie over and over and over again, memorizing the lines, and then uh, realizing that n the outcome is going to be the same. You know, where right now, I guess I'm kind of writing my own movie as I as I go. It's a kind of like that. What they, the uh, film in a day or a play in a day that they do here in Barcelona, where you make it up as it go, but you use the structure that you've made throughout the years that you've had mm. to, I guess, morph this into something else or something that works stronger for you. Uh, and it's been working for me. I mean, I'm not, uh, I, I'm not the best addict. You know what I mean? Mm. I'm not the best uh, recovered addict. When I first got to uh, the comedy scene in Barcelona, I was strict, like, like strict yeah. about my sobriety. We'd go, can you imagine, oh, you go to these like uh, pubs and bars and perform in all these places. All the other comedians are drinking, smoking, doing whatever the fuck they do. And I'm not part of it. So I was always kind of like, uh, like, like exit stage left right away mm -hmm. after a show. I would hang out for a little bit, but I wouldn't hang out afterwards. Or, you know, because everybody's drinking, getting drunk, smoking out, doing whatever the fuck they do. And now it's kind of weird because I see a lot of comedians today that are, uh, are are perceiving their life as sober, or they're yeah. they're they're they're, uh, they're trying to accomplish a sober lifestyle, you know, and um, which I, I I commend them for, and I think back to the days where people were like, I can't believe Robert's sober, you know, or because I was the only one that was sober in the, the whole the community of uh, comedy here, and then now it's kind of like flipped around where they're like now getting sober and I'm the one struggling with the. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? But I'm all right. I'm not saying they were ever struggling, but obviously if they're trying to stay in a sober climate, they're now in a point where they realize where I was at in my life. You know, that there was a time where I stood for the idea that I'm sober and I got up on stage. I was funny as fuck, still sober. People thinking I'm drunk off my ass on stage or high, but my energy levels up to here. And with or without the drugs, it just goes to that point where you just, you are who you are. Mm. And seeing a lot of people that are posting things, even celebrities, like Eminem is a big advocate for sobriety, you know? And I commend him too because... He's a legend. His, his story of sobriety is wicked. I was just like, yo, you know? And we all have those stories where we go down the pit. You know, like me, I went through prostitution. I went through just a lot of bodily harm, a lot of like uh, self-degradation, not having respect for who I am as a person, letting things take over my life to be high, mm. you know. Um, and yeah, you, I, I, I did the most wicked things in my life just to accomplish this goal. So how did you get into the prostitution and where was that? Well, I was, when I ran away from home the first time, I was 13 years old. As a 13-year-old running on, uh, living on the streets, you kind of like meet people that will protect you. I, there's a movie that's out right now called The Stroll. It's on HBO. It's about uh, the whole stroll in New York. Okay. Uh, and basically, that story, it encompasses a lot of things that happened in 
the livelihood of young prostitutes. Because as a 13-year-old, you don't have uh, experience. You can't work legally. You can't be hired anywhere at 13 years old. So what do you do? You work what you can. People on the streets teach you this, and they protect you from this. You know, they protect you. They kind of like, they're vigilant, you know. And at a certain point, you just think, okay, this is normal, and I'm making money. So there's so the people out there, there's people who are genuinely trying to help you. They're saying like, if you want to do this, these no. are the things you have to do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they would house you, or they would close you. They would help you. You know, just just help. You know. Okay. And when you would do a John, they would follow where you went, so they would make sure that you're okay. You know. Um, but there's a lot of them that just go solo and they get murdered or they get beat up or they get robbed or you know, it's an awful thing. Um, I went through that too as well. You know. Um, but that's just what it's part of the job. Kind so, of thing. so why did you run away from home? <sighs> Disagreements with my father. Um, he was abusive, you know. So at a certain point, you just kind of think, I can't, I gotta go. Like you physically know? abusive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but then I went, I went back, and then I would go back on the street. At I think it was 15 years old, you know. But um, my I mean, I love my dad. I mean, he, he has made me who I am. But at the same time, it's not, it, it's not a conducive relationship when we're in the same space. Mm. He came to Barcelona and visited for three weeks. And he stayed at my house <laughs> for three weeks. I went cuckoo. You know, and by the end of it, we were fighting, we were arguing. He was like throwing tantrums. My father acts very immature when he can't get his way. You know, when he came out here, he wanted to go to uh, Our Lady of Lourdes, you know, where that, uh, in France, where mm-hmm. that holy grotto is. You go bathe in the water, you get cured. You know, he's like, let's go there so you can get the cure. I'm like, the cure for what? He's like, you know, the gay. And I was like, oh, maybe you can go in there and get the cure for homophobia. You know, I'm not scared of the gays. I just don't like them. <laughs> you know, shit like this. Is he from the Philippines? Yeah. So then uh, he gets... I told him, I go, I will go to Lourdes under one condition because he came here during the, the pride season, you know. So he was here for pride. And I was like, you co- I'll go to Lourdes with you if you come with me to gay pride. He's like, I'm not a gay. I'm like, you don't have to be gay. You have to be a supporter, you know, an ally. He goes, I don't care about that. Why do I want to go? What if people assume I'm gay? I'm like, you're 78 years old. Nobody's going to want to touch you. <laughs> You're 78 years old. You're homophobic. Nobody's going to want you. You're bitter. I'm like, come on. Nobody wants bitter. We want sweet. He's like, no, I'm not going to go. So he threw up a hissy fit. We ended up going to Lourdes. Mm -hmm. I didn't do any of the fucking things that he wanted to do. He wanted to dip in the grotto. I'm like, fuck that shit. I'm out. I'm I'm not going into the sanctuary. I'm not going anywhere. But he shows, uh, he he feels like he, he won. So we come back to Barcelona. I take him to Las Ramblas. Mm-hmm. You know, during this time, because it was gay pride season, there's a lot of like memorabilia for the LGBTQ uh, uh, contingency of the, of the community and whatnot. There was a lot of things that were saying, you know, happy gay pride, orgullo, pa 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 pa. He's like, what is all this stuff for gays? What is this? What is this? And I had a bright idea in that moment. I'm like, welcome to gay pride. And I ran away from him. <laughs> and he's like, I'm not a gay. I'm not a gay. I'm not a gay. I'm not a gay to every person that's looking at him. He's like, I'm not gay. I'm not gay. <laughs> And I was, because he's 78, he walks slow. And I was like, see you on the end, daddy. (laughs) 
And then, so yeah, that was one of those things that happened. He got all pissed off. I'm like, it's not gay pride, Dad. I go, but, I go, that's how it feels. When you try to manipulate me or coerce me to do something, I, I just, I want to leave. I go, that's what has led me into to being a runaway so many times in my life, you know. Uh, my father is also a, an active uh, gambling addict. Uh, and he, okay. he doesn't want to admit that. But he's been an addict to gambling since I was a child. I remember one month we would go to, uh, no, actually it was the whole summer. We would go to Las Vegas every weekend. Every fucking weekend. I hate Las Vegas. I hate it with a passion because of that. Yeah. And my brother and I, back in those days, there was not a lot of activities for uh, kids. There was a, uh, what is it, an arcade. And he would give us quarters and we would play arcades until we were done. And then we'd be bored off our asses for the rest of the mm -hmm. weekend. And I was just like, this is not the way you raise a child. It's not. I'm sorry. You don't take them to Las Vegas to do nothing. And yet you want us to get good grades in school. You know, I'm like, we didn't learn shit on this fucking summer vacation other than that you like to gamble, <laughs> you know? And he still gambles. He moved to Las Vegas and he's there. Yeah. No and I'm like, that's a worse, that's like me living in a crack den. I'm like, no way. Oh my God, you manufacture crystal meth. Can I move in? <laughs> kind of thing. You know what I mean? That would fuck me up. So yeah, that's where he is. He's in Las Vegas and he thinks he's not an addict. I think that like gambling is a rough addiction as well. Because yeah. like at least with drugs you get to feel high. Or, or you, you can know, fucking go to jail for it. You know? <laughs> One or the other. But it's like gambling is, is a crazy addiction. Like I used to, you don't get them here, but in England and they've kind of, they've, they've changed the law now. But yeah. you, we had like bookies yeah. where like in any city there would be tons of them yeah. you know every like 100 meters there'd be one yeah. where you go in and you can play roulette or blackjack on the machines yeah. but you can spin i think it was up to 100 or maybe 200 yeah and you could spin that every like 30 seconds oh, God. on the machines so you'd see you'd go in there and you'd see people feeding notes into oh, the machines yeah. and they play them so much that because it's a machine yeah. they can tell where the ball's gonna land oh. as soon as they press the yeah. buttons yeah. so then they press it and then sometimes i've seen machines that have been smashed up but you just see like you go in there and it's just misery yeah and then yeah. they changed it so that instead of like might have even been more than 100 pounds you could spin per yeah. 30 seconds they changed that to now two pounds. Oh, okay. So it's like it basically take, took all the fun out yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and like I used to go in there every so often. When you put I was 100 broke. pounds in? No, not for oh, 100 okay. pounds. No, you can put any amount in, okay, okay. but it's up to that amount. Yeah. I would put like 10 pounds in. Okay. But when I was a broke student, sometimes I'd be like, let's risk this 10 pounds. Yeah. And maybe this 10 pounds will turn yeah. into 50 right. or maybe I'll lose it. Okay, what's, um, a, what's a quid? Quid's a pound. It's a pound. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Just to um, so like, but I would go in there, but then when you lose, when you win, you yeah. feel such a buzz. Yeah. But when you lose, it's so horrific. And yeah. I could see how these people, because it like shatters your dreams instantly. Yeah. And even when the money goes up and you see it on the screen, like 50, 100, 200, yeah. you're winning all this money, but yeah. it's not real money yet because you haven't taken it out. Yeah. Yeah, so then yeah. you'll be like, oh, okay, let's I'll just risk 100 yeah. here. Keep playing it. Keep playing yeah, it. Yeah. Risk 100. Yeah. And then... You lose that, and yeah. then afterwards it dawns on you, wait a minute, I had 100 pounds there, yeah. and I just risked that all. I would never do that yeah. in a normal circumstance, except for the fact I'd already won that money. And it's like, yeah. it totally yeah. messes with yeah. your whole brain. It's, it, it's crazy. Yeah, no, I, I remember I had one gambling incident where I won big. I, I, it was the horse races. Okay. Have you ever done the horse races? 
Uh, I've never I've never been to the horse races. No. no, we used to do went go to dog races a little bit when I was yeah. younger, but you know that was it every so often um, and like real yeah. low money. There was this there was this uh, horse track over in Pasadena. I think it was called Del Mar. And I went with some friends. We went to go drink some beers and whatnot. And I sat there, and I was just like, all right, I'm going to put this down. I don't even know what I'm doing. I did this trifecta, whatever, boom, boom, put this horse, this horse. Guess the horses that in the order they're going to win. So that supposedly gets you a lot of money mm-hmm. because if you can divine that to happen, it, it's like, wow, you're genius. I look at the horses, whichever one was prettier, which one ever had bigger lashes. I'm like, I'm going to choose that one. She's got nice blonde hair. That one's great. She's got braids on her tail. What the fuck is going on here? So I chose three horses, you know, in an order that I thought they would, you know, whatever. Who the fuck cares? I'm just going to put 20 bucks down. 20 bucks wasn't a lot. That 20 bucks turned into like a $3,000 win because I guessed the order of the horses. And they were just like, what the fuck? I was like one of five that won that fucking race. And all five of us were gay people. We're like, yeah! <laughs> yeah I was just like, were you thinking that because this, 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 and this? Because it was wearing a pink hood? Yes! <laughs> and we just went there. I was like, oh my God. And I could have played more. Fuck that shit. I was like, I just made 3,000 yeah, yeah. bucks on a fucking $20 bet on horses that I thought were gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. And that was it. And my dad was like, you should have kept on playing when I got home. I'm like, what? My $3,000? For what? So I could walk away with my $20 again or less than that? Like you? No, absolutely not. But that's the thing. Like, when I see my addiction, I realize that addiction is hereditary in some folks. 100%. And that's the thing where... My, it's that fiendishness, yeah. and that fiendishness can be directed to lots of different things. It, like it's the emptiness or the, the confusion in your life that yeah. is not re- is replaced by uh, uh, an alternative uh, uh, alternate uh, substance or activity or whatever it is. Uh, so that's the thing where I see that his behavior has become much my behavior, but I found recovery where he hasn't. Mm. You know, and I'd always hope that some certain point. Because they say in recovery, in the, the recovery program, that uh, uh, well, I can't remember what it is. That uh, it's a it's a it's a program of um, where, where you give back, you know, yeah. or uh, you are an example. Uh, your example. You're never going to stop an addict from their addiction, but if you pr- uh, produce an example of what recovery is like, that will, in, uh, I guess, make an addict think. You know. I think that's also part of the the struggle for recovering people when they do fall off the wagon. It's like because you feel you do feel compelled naturally to try and be a role model for all the other people because yeah, you, yeah. you become so aware of all the other people who are suffering, yeah. which is so many people yeah. in you know most people have got some sort of addiction problem with something, you know, yeah, food, yeah. alcohol, drugs, sex, whatever, yeah. uh, gambling and like you see those people and like you want to be able to help and all you can really do is be an ear to, to to listen or to try and be be a role model and say, okay, look, this is possible. And then if you do fail, yeah. you're like, I'm a failure for these people who yeah. don't necessarily exist. Yeah. But then it's like, it's really challenging. But one of the things that were the <clears throat> stuck out to me from one of the meetings in the in AA um, was when they said that basically an alcoholic 
an alcoholic's an alcoholic for life. Yeah. And an alcoholic will continue drinking more and more and more until they die. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. And I was like, that's totally true. And it's the same with drugs. It's yeah. like, you're con- con- unless you stop, you'll continue taking more and more and more and more yeah. and more yeah. until you die of some sort of yeah. illness related to that. Yeah. You know, and the same with alcohol, some sort of illness related to that. It could yeah. be like falling down the stairs or whatever. Yeah. And you'll die from that. And I'm like, that is just yeah. totally true. And then yeah. it, it brought me back to thinking about you know, I think that a lot of people don't quite understand what recovery is and how it works because they haven't stepped outside of their world of taking things regularly. And it's like, people are like, oh, you know, why don't you just have have some drugs this one occasion? Or why don't you just have it? Why don't you try and moderate drink? And my friends, well, nobody really challenged me that much about the drinking because they knew that I was a total mess. And so no one was encouraging me to start drinking again. But like sometimes when I meet people who don't really know me, they say, oh, like, couldn't you just have a few drinks? And I'm I'm like, at first I thought, obviously, when you first stop, you're like, oh, I'm only stopping temporarily. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm only yeah. going to stop for a few days. I'm then I'll be a fine. Drug break. Taking a break and then I'll be fine in the future. Yeah. But then I, I realized, like, I had this one experience where I was in a club in Germany somewhere um, <clears throat> and I was on drugs at the time, yeah. but I took a... Um, I hadn't drunk alcohol for like a few years then. Yeah. And somebody gave me a bottle of Coca-Cola. Yeah. And in Germany, what they do in the clubs is they pour alcohol directly into the glass bottles. Okay. So it like saves waste, which yeah, I yeah. thought was really clever. Yeah. But I didn't know. So I took a big swig of someone's glass of Coke. Oh. Um, and I just felt this vodka go down my throat. And the second it hit my throat, it was like in my mouth. Yeah. And these just all these like feelings and emotions and everything just yeah. hit me at once. And all this like anxiety. Yeah. And my brain was like, Part of me was like, spit it. And the other part was like, swallow it. Yeah. And then I was just like, oh, and I swallowed it. Yeah. And then I just felt this like horrible sense of like shame and just all these yeah. kind of memories coming back. Yeah. And then afterwards, I had this horrible feeling of wanting more in my stomach. And yeah. I was like, if I were to try and moderate my drinking, yeah. my life would basically be trying to not make myself drink more. Yeah. And that's not pleasurable. No, it's not no, nice no. to try and drink one or two drinks and then spend the rest of your night. People don't, don't think they get the feeling that's yeah. like, I need more of this. Yeah, yeah. And my feeling with alcohol, I think, was always stronger than most drugs. Yeah. The only exception for that was methadrone. Yeah. Um, methadone? Not methadone. Oh. Methadrone, okay. which was like, um, it was a research chemical that was really popular in England. Um, research, you're the guinea pig. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. It was like in about 2010, 2009, all these drugs started coming onto the, it's being sold in head shops on oh, the street. Okay, okay. Um, they were like legal drugs at yeah, the time. They yeah. managed to ban them eventually, but you could buy it for like four pound a gram. Yeah. And it was like, it was more potent. It was like a, basically the effects of like a mixture of cocaine and, and ecstasy. Oh, shit. And it was so addictive. I ended up, I started taking it, and in five months, I lost 25 kilos of body weight. Oh, shit. Um, Wait, that sounds like... And that was when I was, like, 15. Yeah. And then that was the only thing that's, like, the come down on that was, like, so... It's like, I need more of this because I feel like actual death. Like, I need more, I need more. I remember in in the 80s and 90s, there was this uh, dietary supplement called Fenfen. Right. Which is basically crystal meth. It, yeah. it, it's, it's methamphetamine, right? Yeah, and so they, they put this out. It was a fucking wonder drug that made you lose weight. You look great. Next thing you know, these women that are buying, because they promoted it to the women, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Next thing they know, they're strung out, right? All these little uh, white women, you know, which was not their intention, mm-hmm. you know? 
And so next thing you know, they're strung out. They're using, they're buying all the fence fans from the markets, and they're just like fence 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 fence, which is also you know like it just sounds like a drug. You know, like fence fence. <laughs> give me some fence fence. And uh, they'd be vacuuming their houses. Their houses spick and span. They're eating their own armpits. And I was just like, what the fuck is going on with this fence fence? And they took it out off the market after about um, two years. Yeah. And they realized that it was making it had an addictive property to it. I'm like, where's the USDA approval for this shit? Um, who thought that this was gonna work? You know, like who put? But yeah, it was really popular. There was like, I mean, it does work for weight loss and fairness. And like. then some. And your house is clean. Yeah, and yeah. So is you know your children's everything, everything. You know, but it was crazy. And um, then they started doing parodies about Fen Fen and all this stuff. But that was funny to me thinking. That's a drug that I use, and now I'm a criminal, you know, because you use crystal meth. I'm like, y'all use Fenfen, though. Yeah. All y'all white Karens are using Fenfen while I'm doing my street drug. You're doing it just because you bought it off of a fucking telecommercial, you know? I mean, what the fuck is the difference? Is that... It's absolutely crazy, the, um, like the pharmaceutical companies. I read this book, I think it was called, I read it about four or five years ago, I think it's called 10 Drugs, and it basically follows the story of basically how the pharmaceutical industries developed. Yeah. And it was Bayer, the company that developed heroin. Yeah. So originally they developed, like back in the day, they were selling cocaine, they were selling codeine, yeah. and they were, they were always on the quest for a non-addictive painkiller, yeah. which doesn't really exist, like a, a proper good painkiller. Yeah. For, for whatever reason, nature does not provide us yeah. with a non-addictive painkiller, because otherwise we would probably, I don't know what would happen, we'd probably end up in just this weird yeah. slumber. But anyway, they developed morphine yeah. as like um, as a non-addictive version of codeine <laughs> to then to then get people from codeine onto morphine. Yeah, and then everyone was getting addicted to co- to morphine. Yeah, so then they made heroin, which is diamorphine, yeah. to then and they marketed it as a non-addictive version of morphine, yeah. and it's more addictive yeah. and has a worse. Well, I think morphine's got a worse come down. But um, and then they basically just, it tells these stories of how these drug companies just make these ridiculously addictive drugs. And they call they, them less addictive. And they call them less addictive. Yeah, and they market yeah. them as that. Yeah. And you used to be able to just. This was back when you could actually just walk into a, a chemist and just be like, "I would like that, please." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they would give it to you. And I'm just like, "This is crazy." And even now, you hear all these stories of, like the I haven't seen the documentary yet, but there's like a family who basically. Um, Developed this new fentanyl problem, oh, and yeah. they started like flooding fentanyl yeah. around, which is you know an opiate, which is now killing tons and tons of people. Is this is this going wild in the UK? Fentanyl. Yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't heard of it yet. I know it's all over the US. It's all over the US. I mean, it's, a, it's, an, it's an endemic over there. I mean, yeah, people are dying. Kids are dying. They don't yeah. even know they're taking it. They thought they were taking something else, and they have a reaction to it right away. Yeah. So for those that don't know, fentanyl is um, it's an it's an opioid, yeah. but it's only used in really small doses. And for whatever reason, they decided to start mixing it into other drugs, yeah. mainly cocaine, yeah. Yeah. which seems odd to me, seeing as cocaine's a stimulant yeah. and fentanyl's is a depressant. Yeah. So I don't know why they would mix it in, probably to make the high better, yeah. but also it would make it much more addictive because opioids are really, really addictive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Have but you ever taken opioids? I've taken like relatively high doses of codeine, Okay. but um, no, I never took heroin. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't even think I would have, even if I'd have been straight up offered it. Yeah. Because um, I just uh, heroin and crack. What was your first drug? Just my first drug was just weed. Okay. Uh, after that, I think was probably ketamine or pills. 
But I took I took those all pretty early. But are you about... are you excusing alcohol from the drugs? Alcohol was my first, yeah. Okay. So alcohol, the first time I got drunk, I was eleven, and I drunk. drank. Drunk. I drank a bottle of sambuca. Oh, a um, bottle. A bottle of sambuca. Yeah. Like who near... the fuck let you have that at eleven? So we were at my friend's house, and he had in his garage. His dad had all this alcohol that he bought from foreign countries. All right. And so obviously like at eleven, you don't really know that that's not the right amount to drink. Yeah. And sambuca, I I really like the flavor of sambuca. It's okay. one of the only alcohols I actually like. Yeah. I really like aniseed. Um. So obviously you're drinking it, and it's like, Ugh, but it's also really yeah. like syrupy. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I was just drinking that, drinking that, drank like nearly the whole bottle, I think. My friend probably had about a small sip of it. Yeah. But I was just drinking it. And then I remember throwing up all over his carpet, oh, yeah. these big lumps of sausage that we'd been eating. Um, and then I remember even the next day I felt like actual death. But I remember thinking, wow, I can't wait to do that again. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because for whatever reason, I really loved it. And then from then on, I just drank as often as I possibly could, yeah. which when you're younger is more difficult because you have to try and like sneak yeah. it from places yeah, yeah, yeah. or get like older people to buy it for you. Yeah. But then as you get older, you just drink more and more and more. Yeah. When I was 18, I ended up um, drinking until my heart stopped. Um, oh, wow. And then I, as I got then, like when I was about 21 or 22, I got, when I was about 20, I got cholecystitis, which was inflammation of the gallbladder. Wow. And that, I thought I was dying. And you it, still didn't stop? No, I didn't stop. I yeah. thought that that was like... Okay, so you are a fucking alcoholic. Yeah, like alcohol, okay. I was probably worse, that much worse with alcohol than drugs. Okay. Um, and then... So wait, let me ask you about this. I, I know you're supposed to be <laughs> asking me the question, but I'm really interested. Tell me this. When Okay, quitting the drugs was when that woman in Colombia yeah. told you that. No, that wasn't in Colombia. She was actually, it was here. I was in Barcelona. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. And she's actually British, the woman. Okay. When she told you that, that's when you quit doing the drug, the, uh, the kid, the, the, the uh, MDMA. That's when that stopped. Yeah. The alcohol, was that attributed to another revelation in your life? That was attributed to another revelation, yeah. So that was like, I'd broken up with my girlfriend at the time, right. um, and I was taking that pretty badly. And um, then... I went on like a real long bender, like 10, 12 solid days or something of like day drinking, like basically waking up in the morning, drinking all day, yeah. passing out like two times during the day, waking up just like basically not even knowing what time it is really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then I think I went back to England for a few days and then I came back here and um, I was just on like a rampage around the city right. and I ended up like waking up face first on the floor of the apartment where I used to live with well, this girl. Well, at least girl. you were at home. Oh, yeah, and I woke up face first. It was like five o'clock in the morning. I was like, oh God, why am I here? And then I got up and I walked straight to the fridge right. before I'd even become so, like before I'd even become conscious really. Yeah. Walked straight to the fridge, grabbed a bottle of wine, yeah. drank the whole bottle of wine, then drank like two beers. Yeah. And then I woke up okay. and I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. And then I started crying. I was like, I can't believe I've just yeah. done that before I've even woken up and been alive yeah, yeah and then she comes in sees me like in a state is like starts crying and she was like she said because she'd already seen two people die yeah. um from alcohol not necessarily from alcohol but like from unhealthiness i think basically okay. Okay. um and it was like her her dad and her stepdad okay. and then um i she said I, i'm not watching another person die yeah like, if you don't stop drinking, I'm never going to speak to you again. Yeah. And then the penny dropped. I was like, wait a minute. This isn't just my life yeah. that I'm affecting. Yeah, yeah. This is other people. Yeah. 
And I before I just never even it never even I just thought, well, it's my life, my life. I'm going to do what I want. Exactly. And then I like went to the doctor, went to an addiction specialist, and then okay. just started that, and I just stopped. Yeah, I, I my revelation came after my mom died. It was because my mom died, and how uh, we the last time we saw each other was very it was horrible because uh, it was Easter weekend of 2005, mm-hmm. and. Um, she was. She wanted to go to Las Vegas, hmm. not to gamble, but because my grandmother has uh, other uh, children that live in Las Vegas. So my grandmother at the time had Alzheimer's, and she, her mind was slipping really quickly. So she wanted to go to Las Vegas to visit the family before her mind totally slipped. Uh, I said yes, I would go with them, but then I thought about it. As a drug addict, you're like, how am I going to survive a four-hour car ride with my grandmother, my mom, an aunt, an uncle, and a cousin um, without getting high, without, like, fixing. Even if I start now, that's four hours. That's four hours of, like, going cuckoo with uh, nobody but, like, you know, my mom's favorite uh, tunes on the radio, which is not good. You know, I'm just like, okay, we got to figure this out. So I got into a fight with my mom, purposely, Mm. said the most horrible things to her to the point where she said then just don't come and she didn't and I got what I wanted uh, and as I was sitting there happy to get what I wanted I called the dealer he came over dropped off some stuff I had a needle in my arm and then my aunt calls me and says stay home we're gonna come over right now because your grandmother and mom got into a car accident and I was like in, in LA you think it's a fender bender Usually, accidents in LA are fender benders, and this had been. Does that mean that? What does it like mean? It's, it's just basically like a rear end because there's done a, on purpose. No, no, no. Oh, there's okay. just a lot of traffic in LA, so there's not a lot of space. You know, okay. like there's not a lot of that going on. So usually, an accident really relates to more of road rage and okay. somebody not knowing how to drive aggressively or uh, passively. You know, like so. There's a lot of that. So when I heard accident, I'm like, all right, they're going to come over. So my aunt and my uncle come over. And um, before they come over, though, uh, my mom had left to go to Vegas. She came back. And when she came back, she just saw me uh, in the kitchen, raiding the refrigerator, getting some food, some substance before I got high because I knew I wouldn't be eating for the next, you know, few days. So So what were you injecting? uh, Crystal meth. Okay. But it wasn't yet. You know, mm-hmm. my mom had come back, and I asked her, did you forget something? She just kind of nodded at me. And I felt horrible for the things I said, but I already got what I wanted. I'm like, listen, Mom, happy Easter. I'm sorry. I love you. And then she said, too. Without, without saying the words, she just lifted it to me. And that was it. We didn't hug. We didn't do any of that. She just took off. And then uh, my aunt calls me, tells me there was an accident. Mind you, this had been about um, an hour already, maybe less than an hour. And she said, listen, your mom, your, your, uh, your mom and your grandmother got into an accident. We're going to come over. She came over, and she announces to me that they both died. But where they died was impossible compared to where when my mom came, to visit, or came back to for, uh, when she forgot something. And I was like, she was just here. What do you mean she's dead in San Bernardino or in Barstow, which is about two hours away? Mm-hmm. I go, she was just here. She can't be in Barstow already. She goes, no, Robert. She goes, what you, maybe because you're high. 
and because I was. I mean, everybody knew it wasn't a secret. And I was like, listen, I go, listen, no, no, no. She was here. She goes, my mo your mom told me when she came to pick up your grandmother that you guys got into a fight mm -hmm. and to check in on you because she forgot one thing. And I was like, what did she forget? She goes, she forgot to tell you that she loved you. At that moment, things shut down because she didn't speak. She just lipped it to me that she loves me and that she was sorry too. And I was just like, no, 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 no. At first, I thought it was some kind of extreme intervention where my mom was faking death just to get me to get off of the drugs, which didn't work because then the whole thing kept spinning in my head, spinning in my head where I'm thinking, oh my God, can you just stop playing this game with me? I'm going to continue to get high. But then when it, it, reality started to sink in, I started to use more drugs to avoid the pain, which didn't work. So sorry, just to clarify, so that was like a kind of like a, an apparition or... That's what I believe it was. Um, I don't subscribe to that either, to that whole idea of an afterlife, but that's what it felt like. You know what I mean? But as far as you were concerned, you'd seen her come in and, yeah. and, and say that to you. Yeah, yeah. And you had no idea at the time no. that she died. No. no. No, no, no. Wow, that is mental. And then the point of apparently the time of death was the same time uh, a difference as to when she showed up at the, uh, at the house to collect something that she forgot. Wow. And so after about two months, three months, I started to realize that I hadn't inherited a lot of money from my mom mm -hmm. when she died. And I was spending so much of that money on drugs to avoid pain. And it wasn't working. It wasn't working at all. And one night I was stuck, like paranoid as fuck, in a coat closet. I live in a, I, I had a two bedroom house. Huge house, huge patio, whatever. I could have spent any time in the other house, but I was isolated in a little coat closet. <laughs> you know, and just smoking my, my, my uh, crystal meth, injecting at the same time, doing everything I could, every type of, like, injection I could. It was, I was injecting in my jugular. It was just crazy, and it wasn't working. Everything was just like, ugh, and I couldn't escape it. And then I fell asleep with a fucking torch on my leg. I didn't even feel it. Uh, I could have burned the house down because the torch was on. Uh, and then next thing you know, I wake up thinking, um, you're going crazy. Mm -hmm. You're going crazy, but I wasn't awake. All of a sudden, I'm in the car where my mom was in the, the car accident, but not uh, not a passenger, but there at the accident. I saw the car turn over three times because that's how the accident happened. Her, her, her uh, brakes went out, and she lost control of the car. So it spinned over in the desert three times, and she... I remember hearing her or a conversation between her and the Almighty, her, him telling her, you have a choice. You are dying right now, and your son is dying from his addiction. You can live or he can live. And I was pissed off about that. But then she chose me. I, it could have been a dream, but then mm. I remember vividly seeing everything. So I went driving one day after I got out of rehab, down the highway that she had an accident, not knowing exactly where it was, mm -hmm. just screaming and, you know, belting out some tears. And I stopped. And all of a sudden, just, I don't know what made me stop, but I stopped. And I saw the marks on the ground. They didn't even clean up the blood because it was in the desert. There was blood. And I knew that that's where it had happened. And then so from that point, 
Um, I vowed that my recovery was uh, a living amendment to my mother because I was never able to say sorry to her. And so that's how I kept uh, clean for 16 years. And mind you, when I fell off the wagon, I beat myself so hard for that because I was like, I'm so sorry, Mom. I'm so sorry, Mom. The idea of all that. It it affected me really badly. But at the same time, uh, at her eulogy, I was just like, this woman gave birth to me twice. The first day was on May 1st, 1970. The second was March 26th, 2005. Mm. because that's the day she died I, to Gave give me life. life and I didn't know how to explain it I was just like but yeah I, for the longest time even at my recovery uh, in my rehab something in the back of my head was saying she's gonna show up at your one year recovery hmm. party your, your your celebration of completing one year in a rehab and I'm hopeful, but not convinced that it was going to happen, but hopeful. You know, that, that idea that, Mom, I did it. I did it. And for some strange reason, some woman passed by the rehab that looked like her from the beginning. And by the time she got to the end, it was not her. Mm. It was some black woman. I was just like, yo, how does that look like my mom? <laughs> but she did. As she, you know what I'm saying? It was just like, I don't know. But things like that uh, happen. And the time I relapsed during the pandemic, it fucked me up. It crushed me uh, spiritually, mentally, physically. Everything was just gone, you know. And I, uh, I couldn't apologize enough profusely to my mom for going out again. But I'm back, you know, and I'm happy. Things are going back into, like, some kind of groove. Uh, and I'm happy to be here, you know. This is exciting to talk about things like this because I don't really talk about it a lot. Yeah. Um, every once in a while, I'll bring it up at a storytelling night. Um, by the way, can I give a, a, a heartfelt condolence to the family of Bill? You know, uh, you know yeah, Bill, Bill Vincent. Bill Vincent. He was incredibly instrumental in my life as being a storyteller. Um, we, we did a, a, a storytelling night called Vent together with... Um, uh, Stephanie Figueira. I don't know if you know her. Don't think I do, no. She uh, hosted this night, and Bill Vincent and I met that night. We both did stories, and he's incredible. Uh, and he's been so supportive of everything that I've done, whether it be in drag, whether it be comedy. One night he showed up at a comedy show, and he gave me this tie skirt. Hmm. He's like, I think you would look amazing in this, in, in drag. I'm like, fuck the drag. I would look amazing in this, even in out of drag. He goes, yeah, you would. Um, so one, just to stop you there one second, just so people that I know, Bill Vincent was, um, he was, I think he's in his seventies, wasn't he? Yeah. He's I don't know. A, I think, I think he's in his seventies, but he's a, he's a British comedian and storyteller that lived DJ. in Barcelona. He was DJ. A DJ. He was like an ex sociology professor, yeah. but yeah, like, yeah. he's like, a he's like an ex hippie. Yeah. You know, well, obviously you're never an ex hippie. You're always a hippie. Yeah. But so he was like this old man who in his seventies, like kind of small and wizened and old looking yeah. but with like blue hair or pink yeah. hair and wearing kind of um and always we wearing always wearing like very feminine like crazy outfits yeah. and funny hats and everything like that but he's just everyone in the scene knew well, him one thing about bill like we both connected because we both colored our hair uh, uh funky colors you know uh and we both tell stories and uh I know I've seen all of the posts and what I, I, I have a hard time dealing with people's dying. Yeah, you know, I too. do. 
So I don't chime in. Uh, I have this opportunity right now to, to express my love for Bill and to let people know that. I mean, it's hard. I, I, I'm part of the chat group that like started with like you know checking in on Bill. I never went to visit him in the hospital. I would see him out in the street and just give him big hugs. I'm just like, sorry I didn't visit you in the hospital. He goes, no, I understand. I've heard your stories. Um, but he's just, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's heavy. Yeah. It's heavy. Because, you know, Bill really had a soft spot for the things that I did, you know. Uh, he supported things that I did. Like, when I first started doing drag comedy, like, not a lot of people were on board with that, mm -hmm. you know, because I was an ugly drag queen in the beginning, <laughs> fucked up looking. But he supported it all the way, and he even to give me clothing and whatnot to be like, hey, this is this is what I'm going to do for you. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's always produced such a light, such a strong uh, presence in the community, you know, and he's quirky. Yeah, he was quirky. he was quirky. He was fun to be around. Uh, he was very secretive about his DJ persona, and he's now died with that secret, you know. Because uh, I've always asked him, like, "What was your DJ name? What is your DJ name?" He goes, "I can't tell you that." He goes, "Because if I were to tell you, everybody would know." He goes, "You know, because you're just that kind of person." And I was like, "Of course, I would <laughs> tell the person, everybody." But you don't want to. I want to be the person that would be like, "I know Bill's name," you know. And but he was also he was also. Um He's all, he was also involved in Burning Man Festival yes, yes. and their sister partners over here. So he was like the welfare officer the for, nowhere, um, the for nowhere. nowhere Festival, yeah. which is Burning Man's partner. And he was also like a drug dealer. So he tells yeah. stories. But it's just really funny hearing it from this kind of old man. Yeah. <laughs> this little old man like, telling all these stories about just being a total hippie and all this stuff. It's um, yeah, getting he, like, he, busted with loads of drugs I and stuff. I remember one time he told me, he goes, I like coloring my hair, but one of the reasons I keep coloring my hair is because people won't believe my drug dealing stories. <laughs> 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 He's like, can you imagine if I had my white hair, I walked around looking like a 78-year-old man, uh, that they would actually believe I was a drug dealer and a DJ, but if I keep it like this, it's kind of on the real. I was like, true enough. <laughs> yeah, it's fair, a very fair valid point. You can't go wrong with that idea. Like he goes, you know, Robert, he goes, imagine me looking my age. And he goes, I would not be believed. People would look at me and be like, pa, nice story. Yeah, nice story, old <laughs> man. Where did you read that? <laughs> you know, he goes, but when you look like this, people will believe you. But he's, um, yeah, rest in peace, Bill. Yeah. And he, um, yeah, there's just a load of people saying about how I didn't know him. I'd had a few chats with him. I didn't know him that well personally, yeah. but it's a shame he was on the list to be on the podcast. Oh. Um, so that's a shame not to have yeah. got in to tell his final story. Yeah. Um, but rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace, Bill. But I had him on the radio once. Oh, nice. And we didn't talk much. <laughs> <laughs> but that um, that story about your mother, that's crazy. It's like when, when I hear stories about that you know with all these apparitions and things which yeah. are inexplicable yeah. they're, they're logically inexplicable yeah. um and it's like oh, is there something else yeah I you know, know is there the, the, like what is the divine and 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 what happens then there's something very some, not as hardcore as that which happened to me again in like a big drug binge yeah um like my my granddad my mother's father died when i was about 16 um, and I don't remember the funeral. Okay. Um, and it was during the time I was taking loads of drugs, okay. uh, loads of methadone. And I remember my mum had like begged me, don't take it today during the yeah. funeral. Yeah. And I said, okay. And then 
I then she she told me I I don't remember it at all and I still don't know and it kind of bothers me to these day to this day. She said that I went away and took some and came back like hi, and like during the funeral and yeah. then I sort of remember her like getting really angry at shouting at me but I can't remember if she wrongly accused me or if it was true or not and then that kind of I think that pain of that situation whether I did it or not and yeah. it basically means I can't remember the whole day yeah. and what what happened or whatever and then I'd never really thought of my granddad's funeral as like a, a as a, a an important part of my life but then during the recovery as during well not recovery sorry but my recovery before I stopped taking drugs like when I started analyzing my whole life and yeah. everything I had this I had this series of like pretty crazy dreams and in one of them my like grandfather was there in the dream and I think I might maybe I said sorry or I saw him and there was some sort of exchange and then he basically just kind of shattered into these little pieces of glass and then yeah. just like disappeared oh. um in the dream and I was like oh wow and then maybe I thought okay maybe that whole situation did have a much bigger impact yeah. on me than I thought it than I thought it did but obviously that's a dream but when it's like actually happening in real life like what you're mentioning there it's it's crazy yeah 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 I mean uh, to this day you know this night I, I don't want to delve because I I know a lot of people that want to dissect this more like yeah, in, yeah. The, in the spiritual way you know like a word they're just like that was your mom I'm like yeah it was my mom but but let's not find reasons yeah like, yeah like I I don't like it when when people tell me things like your mom's watching you right now mm. you know she 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 knows she knows I don't I don't want to hear that I I. Just because, how do you know? Yeah. How the fuck do you do you even know what she sounds like? You know, like like how do you know she's watching me right now? That's just a nice thing to say to somebody. You know what I mean? Like it, it bothers me when people say this kind of stuff. Uh, the whole idea that uh, y'all know, you know she's watching. How do you know she's watching me right now? If she were watching me right now, she would be ashamed. Or you know what I mean? Like it puts me into a, a defensive position when, yeah. when I hear this, and I always kind of cringe when I, because I know people are not coming from from it in a, a sideways manner. You know, they're not trying to tell you your mom's watching what you're doing. No, but at the same time, it's like I I don't want to hear that. I don't like uh, when I first told that story. At my very first uh, storytelling night, um, uh, people were so like, like, what? And they all came up to me and they wanted to give me hugs. I was like raw. I, 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 up to this point, I was just comedy, 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 comedy. My friend asked me, can you do a story? I'm like, girl, I'm a comedian. She goes, it's my opening night for this comedy show or this, this storytelling and poetry night. I would love for you to come out and just tell a story. Your comedy is pretty much storytelling comedy anyway. Mm. She goes, but I don't want you to do comedy. I'm like, all right, you ready for a story then? <laughs> I mean, a story. And then, so this was the first time I had ever expressed it mm. in public. And I started bawling. Some girl, I forget her name, kicked out a chair to give me a hug while I was still talking. She's like, I can't, I can't, I just need to give you a hug. And I was just like, thank you so much. I go, but please, afterwards, nobody, I, I can't, I, I, I'm raw. I, mm. I can't feel a hug. I can't, I don't want to hear any of this. Your mom is watching you. Oh, your mom knows, your mom knows. Like, all that is going to throw me for a loop. And, uh, of course, people didn't respect that. 
Yeah. You know, because they want, they were so like into the story. And I'm not saying that's a wrong thing. It's, it's a valid thing to do when you don't know what else to do, mm. you know, but when somebody adamantly says, please don't, uh, it's like saying, just, just put the tip in, you know, yeah. and it's never just a tip. And I was bombarded and I had to, I, I booked, I just basically ran for my, like, you know, my sanity. I was like, I gotta go. <coughs> and I exited right away because I knew that if I didn't leave the bar before I, everybody else got up out of their seats, I would be bombarded. And I, I didn't want that. Uh, and then I went home after that and I just uh, isolated and hugged my dog <laughs> and spoke to my husband. Uh, but yeah, it's just like the idea that it's not controversial for people to want to uh, support what you yeah. just spoke about. It's not. It's, it should be welcomed, but being who I am and all the things that I went through, you know, just to even share that story was just like, I can't do this, you know? And to like amp up myself to get to a point where I was willing to be vulnerable to tell that story for the first time. It was uh, incredibly uplifting, uh, or not uplifting, what's the word? Uh, cathartic. Thera cathartic, therapeutic. Um, and that's how I started doing storytelling. Uh, was through that incident. And I thought, I don't need to tell poetry. I can just tell stories. Yeah. You know, where a story is just as valid as a poem, you know? 100%. And I used to think, oh, look, look, because I would go to poetry nights and I would hear all these poems and these, like, you know, slam poetries and these things that have a, a rhythm and a rhyme and a boop, 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 and it's still deep, you know? Even in university, I would go to these activist uh, socials where they would be like, and I was sitting there with a coffee and my hair, and I was sitting there wondering where, 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 where is my underwear? And I was just like, yo, and people are just like this. I was just like, all right, cool, whatever. This is because of my ex-boyfriend. And so you go to these things, and you think, I'm not that. I'm not that. But then I got welcomed to do this storytelling night, and the next thing you know, I'm doing storytelling throughout you know, Barcelona on top of my comedy, which I feel like filtered one and the other. Oh, definitely. It's yeah. all the same. It's yeah. all the same skill. It's just, I mean, being able to hold a crowd yeah. is the skill. Yeah. And you can hold a crowd with poetry. You can hold a crowd with comedy. You can hold it with storytelling. Yeah. And people love all three of those things. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think that telling a story and being able to tell a story is so powerful because... You can tell a story just to make people laugh, just for it yeah. could be an invented story, or you can yeah. tell a story to make people think. Yeah. You know, to make to, to make people question what they want, or tell your own story in the hope that you can help other people think. Right, maybe I need to stop taking drugs or something yeah. like that. You know, yeah, yeah. And this is it's it's a powerful art, I think, yeah. and you're very good at telling stories. And I think it's like when the last story I saw um, was you. Um, when, when you spoke about the attack. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So, but before we go on to the attack, I just wanted to uh, go back to uh, the, the when you were 13 and you left because we kind of skipped that whole yeah, part. Yeah. So when you left and you went on the street, like what sort of things did you experience and how quickly did it take for you to get well, into the drugs? Well, first of all, it was, uh, I had done the drugs before I went on the street. Okay. Uh, my first drug was an alcohol, it wasn't weed, it was cocaine. Okay. Straight up cocaine. Because I had a, uh, a neighbor uh, who's uh, a kid, no? Whose father was called the pharmacist. 
Right. Mind you, this pharmacist wore a wife beater and had tattoos on his neck. I'm like, wow, that's a cool pharmacist, man. I've seen pharmacists before, and they don't look like him. Mm-hmm. You know, didn't know that the word pharmacist meant drug dealer, you know. Right. Because it doesn't stick in your head. You don't even know what a drug dealer is at that age. Then we go to his house, and the pharmacist had his pharmacy laid out on the table. He freaked out. He grabs everything. He's like, you kids are not supposed to be home. They're like, yeah, we got out early. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I saw a lineup of shit on the table that I didn't know what it was. And he goes, okay, listen, you, do not tell your mom you saw any of this. I'm like, what's it going to cost? You know, <laughs> right away, you know, entrepreneurial thought. Oh, know? I was like, what's it going to cost? What, is it, what, is it gonna, how, what are you going to pay me with it? I was hoping candy. And he goes, okay, fine. You can take anything on this table. If you don't tell your mom. And so he had the fucking logs of uh, marijuana, you know, he had black tar uh, heroin, he had pills, and he had cocaine, he had other stuff there. I was, and I saw the fucking vial of cocaine. I was like, I want that, because it looked like sugar to me. Yeah, Everything yeah. else looked like crap. Like, like, like fucking logs of weed looks like shit. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It comes out raw with little crystals. It doesn't matter. It looks like shit. It looks like dried shit to me. The black tar heroin, even worse like shit. And the pills, they look like my morning vitamins, which I hated taking. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, fuck Flintstones and your vitamins. No, 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 no. So I pointed to that. He goes, are you sure you want that? I'm like, yeah. He goes, do you know how to use it? I'm like, yes. So he's like, all right. So he lines up a line, a little tiny line, and he gives me a, a rolled up dollar. I was like, all right, putting the dollar in my pocket. He goes, no. He goes, that's the pooter. I'm like, well, the way? He's like, it's a tutor, the tutor. I'm like, all right, cool. So I assume, you know, logically thinking, you know. In the mouth. You put it in the, no, I put it in oh. my nose because he went like this, right? All right. And I was like, all right, cool. I didn't know that you were supposed to suck in, you know? So I was just like, all right. And I, all over the table. He's like, God damn it, I thought you knew what you were doing. I'm like, I'm sorry, I got nervous. And my friend goes, like, like he goes, and I was like, oh, okay. So he lines it up again. He goes, can you go? And I go, and I was just like, oh, wow. Like, like my face, I was like 12 and a half, 13 at that point. And I was just like, yo, whoa, 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 whoa. My face is numb. I feel like I just went to the dentist. I was like, oh, I felt like, I was like spitting, drooling out my mouth, you know. I was like, yo, this is not real, you know. But he goes, ah, you're high. I'm like, I'm not high. What are you talking about? He goes, you're fucking high, I say. I'm like, no, no, yeah, high. Like not making sense. And, I, and then my friend's laughing at me. I'm like, why are you fucking laughing at me? And I kept going on and on. But I didn't know that after that moment, I wanted more. Yeah. I wanted more. But then at 12 years old, who are you going to ask for that little powdery shit? Who? Who do you ask? Your preacher? The, the, the pastor at your church? Who are you going to ask? You can't ask your little friend either because you don't want to get Had your friend tried it? He knows what he, it he does. He knows what it was. I don't know if he had tried it. He didn't do it that day. Okay. It was just me. And the father was laughing, and I was like, all right. But I wasn't going to go knocking on his door and say, Mr. Pharmacist, can I get him more? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I had to wait until I was 15 before, because when I ran away at 13, mm. uh, I wasn't trying to find the drugs. I just wanted to survive. Okay. Uh, and I had to wait until 15 before I could actually hook up myself, because I would make money on the street at 13, and I would party out all the other... Uh, prostitutes that I hung out with. And so what were you doing at 13 to make money? I was hooking it. Oh. 
you know. So my money would go to partying out everybody else. But I realized that wasn't right. That was unfair, you know, because I would come up, nobody else would buy cocaine. I would buy the cocaine, but somebody else would go get it. So they were, so at 13, yeah. you were like having sex or, or yeah. with, with older men? Yeah. Um, yeah. Gay men or straight men or whatever? I, I don't know. If you don't know. They were probably straight men. They didn't look gay. And do you think they knew how old you were? Did you look young at that yeah. age? Yeah, I looked young. I looked like a kid. Like the majority of them were older men that were probably, like they drove nice cars. They look okay. like lawyers and doctors and whatnot. Um, so not at all from the gay world. You okay. know what I mean? Yeah. They had a, they had a, a, I guess, a pedophile streak about them. You know, now being older, you can re recognize that that's not gay. It's just somebody that wants to take advantage of a little kid. You so know? do you reckon they were specifically requesting a kid? They weren't requesting. They would find me walking. Because there was no, there was, we didn't have internet back then. Oh, true, true, yeah. We were straight up streetwalkers. So you walk around the street in a certain area yeah. and then they would know yeah, that the that's what you're doing. The whole stroll was, we called her the Monica. Uh, we would go to Monica's house. We would say Santa Monica Boulevard. I'm going to go to Monica's house. All right, make some money. You know. And did um did the cops ever go down that area or did they just kind of leave everyone to, their, to it? Back then, cops would come but only towards the end of the month. It was like quota time. So we knew to stay off the street at that time. Oh, I learned that early on. And were people ever violent with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Often? Yeah. Uh, once my, uh, my street family were part of my life, mm. they, that wouldn't happen very often. Okay. You know, because uh, in the beginning, yeah, people would like, you know, beat me up. Uh, the other street people or like no, the Johns? the Johns. They would beat me up just because... So they would pay to come? No, they, 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 don't they, they didn't pay me. They would kick me out of the car and I'd be basically sexually abused without payment. And I didn't realize how to make that work. At 13 years old, you're just kind of like, what do I do? You know. And how do you stop that from happening then? Finding your family on the street. And then the Johns know that you've got your family or well, they're, it, or they're it, waiting nearby you. you're all like in packs, you know, when right. I first got on the street, it was just me on my own, just walking up and down the street. And then... Uh, you must have been so brave. Yeah, it was not brave. It was I was in so much fear, you know. But uh, this one uh, trans woman, her name was Naomi. She passed away from AIDS. Um, She's the first one to call me over. She's like, hey, 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 hooker. Hey, uh, come over here. I'm like, I'm not, no. And she's like, she's like, no, come over here. If you want to live on the street, you need to learn some stuff. And I was just like, what? How do you know I live on the street? She's like, I see you walking up and down here trying to make some money. You're not going to make enough money to survive on nothing. She goes, you are tiny, you are weak, and you don't know anything. She goes, I will teach you some shit. And I was like, all right. So I don't know, something about her made me believe her, even though she came off aggressively. Yeah. And I was just like, and she's like, are you hungry? And this is not how I knew I could trust her. She's like, are you hungry? Like, I'm starving. She goes, let's go get you something to eat. And she bought me some food. Uh, and I was eating like a fucking, like, oh, 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 like, like, you know, like it was going to expire tomorrow. Oh, oh, oh. And then she's just like, all right, all right, all right. She goes, you are off work tonight. Don't worry about making money. I will cover everything for you for the next couple of days. She goes, but what you got to do is learn some shit. Mm. She goes, follow my lead and build your family in the street. Let me introduce you to some people. She introduced me to all these other people. And she's like, this is our, little, our, our new, fresh little angel over here. 
He's like, he's real innocent, even though he's already done some stuff. He's innocent because he he has not been touched by the fiend. Right. And I was just like, yo. So she kind of protected me for a while. So innocent, innocent. She means innocent in the sense of no drugs yet no. by the fiend, or she just hasn't been. You haven't been like in, really innocent abused. In, in the idea that um, you don't I, realize I, how much evil is out there. Yeah, like 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 that. I still think I can do this on my own. You know, that uh, the idea of how ugly the world is has not yet been shown to me, even though I've already been beaten up or even though that has happened, taken advantage of it, she just said he hasn't been touched yet. So let him be, let him learn, let him watch. He's not here to invade anybody's territory, but he's here. Okay. And we have to understand he's part of us right now. You know, and I was just like, all right. So I stuck with them, you know, for a whole year I was on the street, turned 14, went back to the house. Um, uh, and I would frequently go back there not to do the drugs or anything like this. Like I said, I didn't start b buying my own drugs until I was mm. 15. And then, so when that was, like the whole year that I was hanging out with them, and we would just like get high. I would hang out, I wouldn't work. I, I was going to school again. And so you're living on the street, but having a like normal school life outside. No, of that. no, oh, no. Oh, sorry, no, no. You went I, back home. Yeah, I went back home at 14. At 14. Uh, basically, I was gone for the whole summer. Right. Okay. You know, and I went back uh, a little after the the Christmas break. And do you? How much? How much money were people paying for like a service? a blow job? Would be like 20 euros, 20 bucks. I mean, 20 bucks. Um, Anal sex, I was really afraid of in the beginning, mm -hmm. so I would say no, and but they would take advantage of me anyways. Yeah. Um, so it was very rough. It was, it was, a, it just escalated to where uh, at 14, I knew I still liked cocaine. I was still all about it. But because I was back in school, I kind of had that moment where I was away from it because I had to concentrate on this and that. Then at 15 years old, I just found a dealer. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, wow. I found my own dealer, and he happened to be a Catholic school kid right. who sold two kids in the school. And I was like, I am good. I don't even need to work the street anymore. Next thing you know, I'm back on the street. Uh, just because I knew I could get more money on the street than I could from allowance. Yeah. And um, so at that time, 13, did you know and understand that you were gay? I knew, yeah. I've always known that I was gay. Okay. I, there was always something that told me that mm, being with women was not going to be... But I wanted to be straight. Right. I did, just because of the Catholic upbringing and my father telling me that if you ever come out gay, I'm going to disown you as my son kind of stuff. So I didn't want to be gay, but I knew I was. Okay, so, uh, it, so it was hard for you to accept it then? Yeah, just because of you know the doctrines yeah. and, and whatnot, the way you're fucking told that it's wrong. Um... But then realizing that on the street, the people that are gay, they're so open. They're yeah. so accepting of themselves. Uh, even though life is hard, they got that. They have their self-acceptance. That's one thing I really love about being around gay people is that there's a lot less bullshit yeah. with gay people because, and I think it is because they've spent so long trying to understand themselves yeah. that then finally they do understand themselves. Yeah. They're like, this is me. These are all my qualities. Yeah. And they really do know and understand themselves, whereas the rest of the world yeah. don't really know themselves. Yeah. Because if you're like, 
straight or relatively straight or whatever and yeah. you haven't really tried to understand that yeah. part of yourself or you haven't really tried to understand yourself yeah you don't really know yourself that well and so then it's like you're not as comfortable in your own skin whereas like like you say like gay people often the ones that i know anyway they are really comfortable in their own skin yeah. despite the fact that obviously being gay has some negative consequences yeah, yeah. Um, they're still really comfortable. They're like, oh, I'm going to dress like this. I'm yeah. going to do this. I'm going to walk around yeah. and just do whatever I want. I'm going to um, compliment women and, and not worry about them yeah. calling me out and, as a sexual harasser. And, and compliment men and just yeah. like, you know, like walk yeah. up and just... And just make you feel like every woman that you... <laughs> you know what I mean? This is like, I, I speak about this a lot uh, when I, I I talk on like storytelling or whatnot or even comedy. I'll, I'll be like, listen, I'm picking on straight men tonight. Be, be, you better be aware because you know what? Your girlfriends are not going to protect you right now because they go through this every fucking day. <laughs> you know, I'll call out guys wearing shirts that are way too small for them. I'm like, you subscribe to my magazine, don't you? What's that? By shopping in the little kids section. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? That shirt's way too tight. And those pants, religion is being shown. <laughs> and they're like, what? I'm like, yeah. And they're, they start grabbing their girlfriend or whatever. I'm like, she's not going to help you. <laughs> she's not. She likes this. You don't even know. You don't ask her. She goes through this every day. Mm. Living in Barcelona, she walks down the street. The second she puts her, her foot onto the sidewalk, she'll hear... Hola, mamacita. Because she's a woman. Yeah. I go, you're going to get 10 minutes of this right now because you're wearing pants trying to impress everybody else except me. <laughs> and you know who got it? I did. Nobody cares about your dick. I do. <laughs> they, they, just, they hate it. They love it. They, they, they find it funny. You know, I've never, oh, no, I can't say never. I've run into a few homophobes in shows. Yeah. But they get called out and shut down real quickly. You know, just because everybody else is on my side. As, as far as being a gay man on, uh, in comedy, I get away with a lot. Yeah, a, yeah. A lot. It does give you a license to kind of do what you does. want. It does. You know, but I mean, the thing is, it's like, it, I don't come off hateful. No. I don't. It, it, that's the one thing. It's like, a lot of people think as a crowd work comedian, that you have to come off a bitch. Yeah. You know, that you have to come off with some snide comments to make other people uncomfortable. No, it's not. You have to get along with people first. And then you can, put, like, roll in the mud with them. You know, because if they're not comfortable with you right off the bat, then you're fucked. Yeah. You know, you can't come off with a, with a fucking like, yo, what's up, fatso? You can't do that shit. <laughs> you can't. Yeah. You can't. But then if you get uncomfortable, you're like, so what's your favorite meal? You know, because it's not looks like you ate two of them tonight. You know, it makes it more, you know, where, where I'm self-degrading talking about myself yeah. and then they talk about themselves we find out more about each other rather than me telling them that they're, that they're fatty you know you know but that's the thing you, you gotta let people in on you before you get in, go in on them mm. uh, in our sense of the word of communication uh, and I think it's very important as a public speaker I mean I, I've done it three times already for a professional events right you know um uh, who knew that? And could? what do you speak about? No, it depends on the theme of the event. Okay. You know, uh, a lot of times, like the, the first one I got invited to speak in, I went in, in drag. Right. Uh, it wasn't a drag event. It was this, this event called the Gallery of Ideas. And they hosted this event a year before. I went to there and I fucking loved it. I loved every way they set it up, the speakers, they even had a stand-up comedian that did a set. I wasn't going to do that though. So they asked me to be a speaker because I got to be friends with the organizers who were also 
uh, guests on my radio program. Okay. And we had gotten free tickets to that one as a contingency of the radio program. So oh, we had six tickets. Only I went. So I brought a whole bunch of other people that were not from the radio on there because nobody else wanted to go. Mm. They missed out so much. And I got some of, connected to some of the most amazing people. Then they asked me to be one of the speakers. I was kind of like, yo, what's up? What? What? I was like fangirling on the other side. Oh, my God. You know, like this whole idea that they're going to ask me to speak. When I listened to the caliber of the speakers before, the year before, I was like, I don't know if I can speak to, like, rich people. Like, <laughs> people paid 80 and 100 euros to watch people speak to get motivated, to get inspired. And I was like, yo, I, I am a broke-ass drag queen stand-up comedian, ex-English teacher, drug addict, and you want me to speak. <laughs> These people that spoke the year before were like, like uh, corporate executives yeah. that quit their corporate executive job to do art and they became famous in their art or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. I'm like, but they had a base of money. They, were, they started rich, and then they still stayed rich with their art. You know, they gave up everything. You didn't give up everything. You didn't suck dick in a corner of a fucking alleyway with a rat next to you nibbling on your ball sack. That's, that's giving up. Yeah. Like, that's giving everything up, your freedom. You know, but you've had money all this time, and you're talking about it, and you inspired me to, to get to a point. But at the same time, you're asking me to speak at this next event. I'm freaking out, thinking, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And I told the organizer, is it okay if I go and drag? She goes, I would love that. Hmm. And I was like, but I'm not going to be my drag persona. I'm not going to be Snortella the line. I will be Bobby Bastos in drag, in a yeah. dress and makeup. You know, she's like, I would love that. And so I go, because if I got nothing to say, at least I'll look weird enough for them to like remember, you know. Hmm. So I get there. All the other speakers, there were like nine of us. Three, no. Yeah, there were nine of us. So there were, uh, no, eight of us. Four in the beginning, four after, you know, after a break. The four, everybody else came there with notes and cue cards and, and, and study sheets and whatnot. I, as I do, I don't write my shit. Yeah. It gets stuck up here. And I, I like, I remember talking to them before the event, telling them I'm freaking out. They're like, let's hear what you got to say. And I went to this really depressing side of my life. And they're like, that's a great story, but you're here to motivate. <laughs> and I was like, all right, all right. And they're like, we know you got this. We know you got this. So I show up to the event without cue cards, without mm -hmm. memorizing, without writing anything down. And I'm watching everybody else read their things, doing their speaking up in the sky. I'm like, fuck. Fuck, fuck. And I asked the organizer, how much did they pay for the tickets? They're like 80 to 150. I'm like, fuck, fuck. I go, do I look good? She goes, you look amazing. I'm like, that's all I need to know. <laughs> and then, how so, many people were in the audience? I would say 200 people. Wow. Yeah, it was a big, it was a big event. They're always big. They host these huge events of speaking and motivation and whatnot. And so I get there and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to open up the event, how I'm going to open up my speech, you know. So I go outside to have a cigarette, and these three kids were saying goodbye to their dad. They're like, bye, daddy. Oh, I'm going to miss you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And he happened to be one of the people that are coming to the event. 
I'm like, so what, is your dad leaving town after the event? They're like, no, 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 he's going to come home tonight. I'm like, why are you guys all tripping out? And he's like, no, 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 I'm going to miss you. And they're like, because we love our dad. And that was where I started. I was like, because the, the, the topic of the event was seduce. Right. You know, seduction, seduce. And I was like, I don't know, because you, automatically you think it's going to be about sex. It wasn't, you know. So I sat there, and I was like, yo, I go, I need to know what's going on here. The mom was right there. They're like, they, they just love their dad a lot. I'm like, all right, how old are you guys? And one girl said nine. The other girl said nine. And the, the boy, there were three, like three of them. He goes, I'm 10. And the two girls go, you're lying. Hmm. We're triplets. <laughs> He's like, but I was born first. And they're like, that doesn't make you a year older than us. And <laughs> it was cute. Yeah, yeah. I was like, your your energy is infectious. I go, I need more of your energy. I go, can I get a group hug? Which is not something you ask kids to do in the USA because all of a sudden you get hand slapped for being a fucking pedophile. I'm like, give me a hug. And they, they give me this huge hug. I'm like, give me more energy. I go, I'm speaking tonight. One of the girls, Maya, she goes, you're a speaker? And she's like, you're beautiful. I'm like, thank you. She goes, I want to stay, Mom. Can I stay? And she's like, honey, we don't have the money. She goes, Daddy has the money. I'm like, oh, you better believe Daddy got the money. And then she goes, she goes, yeah, but honey, it's for adults. She goes, but I want to watch him speak. And I was like, I've seduced you. This is where I'm going to start with this idea. You know, and then so I go, what's your favorite song? I was expecting something current, you know, mm. and they're like to each other, like whispering in each other's ears. They're like, okay, we have a song. I'm like, all right, cool, let me hear it. And they're like, what? They did this whole like count off, like 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 uh, Michael the Jackson Five. They're like, one, two, three, sweet Caroline. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is? This? Wow, of all the songs you're gonna sing, it's it's like an old school song. Sweet Caroline. Mm. They're like, do, 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 sweet. And I was just like, oh, my God. So I walked into that event. I go, listen, the topic is seduction, seduce. And we don't want to take it to that sexual, because when you take it to the sexual seduction, it has bad uh, connotation. Mm -hmm. It has a bad rep. Yeah. I was seduced by my boss. You know, but seduction at its most innocent comes from kids. And I told them that story, and I, I named off their names, Maya, Alex, and I forget the other woman's name, the other one's name. And, she, and the father was right in the front, uh, front row and center, you know. And he's like, wow, I'm impressed you know my kids' names, and you memorize them. He goes, and that was about 30 minutes ago. And he goes, D and this is like, wow. So he's freaking out that uh, I'm talking about his kids. He's all impressed. And I went on to go on and on and on about how seduction has always been this idea that it's a bad thing when it's not. Yeah. Like what we need to do is seduce our lives. We have to seduce our every day by saying hello to people. We're told not to talk to strangers by our parents. But what our parents don't tell us is that eventually we're going to have to learn how to talk to a stranger. One, to ask her out. Two, how to awkward. Like we are awkward when we it comes so to, like, to ask people, hey, what's your name? Or we are awkward as fuck. Why? Because we're told not to talk to strangers. We don't, nobody knows how to seduce somebody. They think they do, but seduction is like, oh yeah, what kind of music shall I play? Oh, let me light a candle. Oh, let me put on some cologne. Oh, put it in my underwear. Oh, seduction. No. Seduction is how you seduce yourself first and how you present yourself to other people makes you seductive. Yeah. It's how you talk to, to people 
And I go, a lot of times men are awkward as fuck with women because they're afraid they're going to get slapped or they're afraid that they're going to be called a sexual predator. I go, but that's because you guys come off that way. I go, but when I come up to a woman and say, bitch, you got some great tits. Y'all can't do that. I go, but you want to. I go, but how can you avoid that? You avoid it. You avoid it. I go, that's not seductive. I go, I'm not trying to seduce them. So I would tell them right now, bitch, you got a beautiful butt. And if they want to call me a sexual harasser, fine, go ahead. But you know what? I don't want your butt. I just think it's beautiful. Yeah. I go, can you think like a gay man? I go, probably not. But this, uh, we went, like, it was a whole hour and a half. Uh, no, my, my speak was 10 minutes, but it was like a whole two-hour event. And they paid that much money, and they didn't even get dinner. They didn't get dinner. They got hors d'oeuvres, and they got, like, alcohol, champagne. I was like, yo, that's expensive. <laughs> you should get dinner for 150 bucks. You yeah. know, like, uh, something. You should get a blowjob. I was in the back waiting. I'm like, hello. <laughs> yeah, what's up? You know, but from that event, I got uh, hired to do uh, two other events after that because uh, people at the event were like, that was the best. The best speech of the night was yours. It was with feeling, with gusto. Yeah. It wasn't, it didn't feel like a TED Talk. It felt like, wow. This guy knows what he's talking about. So I did two other events, and they were uh, incredible. You know, and I think that a lot of my... Were they filmed? Uh, one of them was. That, that one was. I'll, I'll share it with you. Yeah, yeah. Share the link, and then we can put it in the, in the description. Right. But then the thing was that uh, when I did the speaking, uh, I think a lot of my ability to speak or to be social or to be outgoing came after my drug addiction because I spent so much of my time as an addict isolated, not wanting to speak mm. to people, just getting my, my, my fix and done, having sex, that was it, but not really getting to know my world, not authentically, not to know people. And when I got sober, when I got clean, I found like I had lost a lot of time of, of socializing with people. Yeah. I graduated high school. I never kept in touch with any of my high school friends. You know, I rarely kept. I my my friendship uh, uh, meter lasted for about a month. Yeah, and then I would move on to other friends that were not friends. You know, and then so when I got clean, it was like you need to catch up, mustard, because this is not this is not living. You know, isolation is not living. Uh, but it's also so one thing. I sorry to cut in. Yeah. One thing I also find with. With that, that when you do get clean, you have to learn how to do all those things. Yeah. You have to learn how to, like, if you start taking drugs or drinking really early yeah. on, and then basically all your social situations, yeah. you're intoxicated in some way, yeah. you don't learn normal, yeah. what you don't learn the normal rules of a party or the normal rules yeah. of just, like, yeah. being a kid, like, and then growing up. You don't learn how to do anything, and then you realize, oh, my God, I am so awkward. I yeah. have absolutely no social yeah, skills. Of course. I have the ability to, like, in my case, I was like, I have the ability to talk. Yeah. I have the ability to tell a story. Yeah. Um, but I'm terrible at actually kind of communicating yeah. and interacting with someone. Which is great that you're um, doing a podcast now. Huh? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I hope I'll learn these skills yeah, no, now. It's kind of cool, though. Um, but then I, you, have to, you have to just rebuild yourself from zero. And it's, like, it's really amazing what you said about the thing about, you know, you felt that your life began, your second life began yeah. when, you know, when your mom came to you then yeah. and gave you that second life. And it, it's beautiful. And it's like a, it's a perfectly summarized, it's an experience or a metaphor that perfectly summarizes exactly yeah. 
what it is. It yeah. is a rebirth. Yeah. And that's why this whole notion of rebirth is so prominent within religion as well and yeah. the rebirth of Christ and everything yeah. and whether that's a genuine rebirth or yeah. a spiritual rebirth, which is what it is. It's, that's really what I felt. I felt my life started three years ago, basically, yeah. genuinely. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm three years old yeah. because before that, oh, I was totally now, unconscious. I can't look at you like that now. Oh, <laughs> God. Why'd you have to go there? <laughs> I, I had like, I, the, remember those old ladies that were so into you? Oh, that was really awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Super cool though. And you were making it uh, like I, awkward. I know. <laughs> tell him, tell him he's hot. <laughs> they did though. They were just like, oh, that guy. Look at the abrasion on his wrist. On his elbow. Uh, oh my God! Look at the scrape. That makes him hotter. I was like, this is crazy. These horny ladies are going in on it. So yeah, I turned up to one of um, one of Bobby's events after straight after rugby practice, and I had this big like cut on my arm. It was a, it was a scrape. It was like a like a like a like a like a field friction burn. Yeah. burn thing, and it was still bleeding. And then obviously, I knew when I walked in that you were going to comment on it, and then you commented on it, and then. Um, brought it up and then th there were these two like visiting tourist ladies probably in their like 40s or something no they were older than but they older than that yeah, yeah. <laughs> like in their yeah. 50s maybe like 50s, 60s, and yeah. then then you were kind of just trying to make them hit on me and no was... they were already telling me they thought you were high all oh, right they're like who's the big guy I'm like, that's connor and they're like connor does he play what, what is what does he do he's so big I'm like, babe, she's a rugby player. Oh, my God. They were so into you. They were just, like, whispering in my ear. They were already, like, a little inebriated. Yeah, so. the one of them was way more drunk. Yeah. But then it, towards the end, she was like, oh, are you going to come out with us afterwards? Yeah. I was like, no, I need to go home. She was like, oh, I thought you were going to spend the weekend with us. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm sorry. I, I thought you were going to get naked with us. We've uh, got a jacuzzi. I was like, number one, I have a girlfriend. And number two, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Really sorry. Yeah. That's the seduction in the other way. But um, but yeah, it was it's it's that that rebirth is just it's it's an amazing thing. And yeah, but like, the thing is, the funny thing is, the, the rebirth also leads to a redeath. Yeah, it, there it, is it, a, there is a second death. That, that's the thing. It's just like we feel okay. One thing when people say second chances only come once, right? I'm like, fuck you. You know how many second chances I've had? I don't know how many near death near life uh, near death experiences I've had in my life. Yeah, and. Every one of those has led up to another chance. Fuck calling it a second chance. Another chance, another chance, another chance. Because I don't know how many times I should be dead by now. Yeah. Uh, but I don't even want to say I've survived. I've gotten lucky. Yeah. You know, because I've, I've seen so many people in my same shoes that have died from the life that I've led. Uh, and, you know, who knows when my life is going to end. And, who, God, it would be horrible if I just died uh, from something simple like a paper cut. After all the shit I've yeah, been through, yeah. I want to die dramatically. Even No matter how sober I am in my life, I want to die dramatic. I mean, I want to fall down a fucking stairwell because of a, a string of pearls that, you know, got, like, uh, unhinged. Oh, I tripped, you know. I want to die from, like, a like an electric accident from a blow dryer while I'm fixing my wig. You know, I, something dramatic. Something, something ridiculous. Yeah, something that, like, will go down in history. I don't want to die from choking on a hot dog. Yeah. You know, something stupid. Uh, I want to die dramatically. Yeah. Not to say that that's what's going to happen, but if that doesn't happen, I want people like you to say, yeah, he died from an airplane, like an airplane crashed into his backyard. 
You know, like like something stupid, like a like a an an, an end, like a, a helicopter blade fell from the sky and just chopped his head off. Like I want. I'll, I'll remember that. Yeah. I'll write. I'll make sure it's written on your grave. Like something that has to be overly dramatic. Like like oh my god, really. But I think that um, like when it comes to when it comes to having like many chances. Yeah. You know that I've always been called lucky by people and yeah. things have always kind of fallen into I my lap. Was kind. Um, <laughs> sure. um, and I've always, like you say, I've, I've nearly died three times and Your then heart each stopped, time, man. yeah. And that, that was, means you did die. That was, you know, if I'd have been, if I'd have not been taken like to the hospital quickly, then it, it would have. Did little. you see the light? No, I don't remember any of it really. I remember all, I remember just before I collapsed. Okay. Um, but I don't remember any of that. But when I woke up, I didn't know, like, I had all these, like, needles stuck in me and stuff. And um, I was naked and I'd, like, totally pissed myself everywhere. And so people were walking around in, like, wellies. Oh, wow. Um, and I didn't even really know my name. I didn't know where I was. Mm -hmm. didn't really know who I was. Um, but when I, when I, it's like, there's only a certain, I feel like there's only a certain amount of chances. And it was only when I got sober and I looked back and I was like, wow, like you say, Many other people yeah. have died, and many other people have died from less. Yeah, you know, exactly. from, from much less yeah. um, paper cuts, paper, like little things. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, right. I I really need to make the most of my life from now on, yeah. and do everything I possibly can to be a good impact. Yeah, on the world. Yeah, but that's the thing. We hold too much responsibility for the world. When you, you understand what I'm saying, that's too much for us to hold on. To. You need to hold responsibility for yourself. Like whatever it is in your life that you want to express, or whatever, uh, whatever you want to leave behind for the world is what's going to uh, be for the world. When, when you pass, it's like, what can you say? Have you done? that will impact the world. You know, uh, for example, I sit here and I think, oh my God, like I, I, as a public speaker, you always think you want to walk away from this situation giving people motivation or that this, this, and this is accomplished. And at the end of the day, I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I'm not in it for you, even though you paid 80 euros for this ticket. Um, it, it's this idea where we're in this together. It's not me trying to prove a point or to be an example because I'll never, I mean, you've heard that a good chunk of my life. Mm. That's not example worthy at all. But it is example because you've come out of that. Exactly. But the thing is, I also went back to it. it the idea that somebody is in exemplar, exemplary means that, wow, they've made it. I don't think I've made it, you know. But I think that, I think that... I sort of, I understand what you're saying, but I sort of disagree in a sense because, you know, like one thing that we, we've noticing happening a lot more at the moment and one of the good things I think about cancel culture, yeah. which I think is bad overall, but one of the good things is it's forcing people who are almost like godlike yeah. level yeah. of people to, when they do mess up, yeah. which they're allowed to mess up, yeah. their stand, I think that... When you're high up in society like that, yeah. the standards that you must have for yourself must be way higher than an ordinary person because yeah. your responsibility is way higher. Yeah. And if you're a role model, you need to do everything you damn well can yeah. to be the best role model you can. Yeah. Otherwise, get off that top position yeah. and let someone else do it. But the one good thing is that when you do mess up, 
and people call you out on it, yeah. you publicly then have to accept responsibility publicly yeah. and apologize, yeah. and then people will accept you and move on. And that's happened with a fair few celebrities, which yeah. I think is great. Yeah. And it shows that these godlike people, we're not gods, you yeah, know. Exactly. May, we, we, we might get sober, we might slip off, yeah. we might come back on. But, but that shows the example of the... That happens. Yeah. That, and that, that then but it's even the more relatable then to, yeah, to people. That's, that's what should be your legacy, is that... You tried your best. <laughs> I, I fuck up. I, I didn't. I, I like when I had had 16 years of sobriety, seven, going on 17, you're thinking, because I got, I, I, I went out, uh, I think, a month before my 17th uh, uh, sobriety uh, uh, check. And I was like, should I tell people? Should I not? Like the idea that me telling people that I fucked up was way too much responsibility for me to deal with, you know? And that the idea that you can't fuck up because you are a pillar of sobriety. Mm -hmm. You are a pillar. You are this, that, this, and the other. And that's too much responsibility yeah. for us to hold on to because it'll fuck you up. So the idea that you have to leave this legacy for people to move on or to see an example, yeah, but that's not your responsibility. What what people see as a, uh, as a I guess an, a, as a as an example is not how you are thinking. I need to be an example for people. I need to be this for people, or the people that come after me, or I need to leave words of wisdom for people. No, your actions are the words of wisdom yeah. for people. It's not what am I? What, it's not an outline of what is to come. You know we're, not, I mean? we're not Jesus Christ. We're, we're not. We're not making a fucking manual for people. Because if we did, we would have known that gluten was not going to be a thing in the future, and drinking tap water was off limits. You know, like fuck yeah. that shit. We didn't know that in the '80s. I didn't know that shit. All of a sudden, these fucking allergies came up to the sun. I'm like, who the fuck is allergic to the sun except vampires? You know, <laughs> like people are allergic to the sun. I have a friend that loves going to the beach. All of a sudden, has an allergy to the sun. I was like, well, that sucks. You know, uh, allergic to chlorinated water. I mean, I remember getting like little red patches when I was going to chlorinated water. Yeah. I didn't think I was allergic to it. I just thought it was over chlorinated. Yeah. Apparently people like, you know, but allergies today are over the, over the top. You know, it's I mean, insane. Like we didn't have that. We didn't have that. Oh my God, I got diarrhea because I drank too much milk. <laughs> Lactose intolerant is what it's called now, you know. Yeah. But apparently back then, you suck on titty milk too much, you can get diarrhea. But it was a thing. Mm. It was not things that we thought about back then. But now we, we have this idea that this, 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 this. But the legacy that you leave behind, Mr. Connor, uh, is the idea that you are producing yourself to be a better person. Yeah. Every day. Everything that you do from X to Z or from A to Z. I mean, however long the distance is, uh, it, it promotes your validity to yourself. And by doing that, it's an example to the people around you or the people that come after you. Whatever you leave behind is whatever people are going to remember. You know, And if they don't remember you, they're probably going to forget you in a year anyways. You know what I'm saying? Like That's the thing where you think, what legacy would I like to leave? Fuck, man. I, what? He gives good heads? I mean, shit. Even those people are going to die. Like, the people that leave behind, are they going to continue to tell your story? You know what I mean? Like, I have grandmother uh, stories that I still tell. Yeah. Those are legacy-worthy. You know, you know what I'm saying? Historically uh, legacy. 
You know, where you're just like, my grandmother used to tell me that she used to smoke her cigarettes on the cherry inside the mouth, the, 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 the burning part, just so the World War II soldiers would not see them in the jungle. I was like, yo, that's some hardcore shit. Like, no filter, the cherry on the inside so the light would be on the inside of the mouth. Whoa. Yeah. And I was like, that's some, wow. Yeah, because during that's World hard call. Yeah. But that's something that you think, that's a legacy. But, bro, man, that's hardcore. <laughs> You know, you know what I'm saying? But that's stuff that you would continue to tell people, and they'll continue to tell people. What is it that you're leaving behind that people are going to continue to tell people? You know what I mean? Mm. He was a nice guy. He played rugby. He, uh, but, like, two old women were trying to pick up on him, trying to get him to a jacuzzi while they sang karaoke. You know, that's funny. But what are, they gonna leave be- what are you going to leave behind that makes people say, wow? You know, your heart stopping pull that into a picture, uh, paint that into a picture of stamping it on. This is where I came from. I almost died. I woke up in my parallel place with needles in my arm. If I can get through that, you can get through that. This is how you emphasize what is a memorable story, is by saying those most damaging parts of you. It's not like the happy where I'm at now. Because I, I'm talking about where I'm at now, but at the same time, a lot of emphasis has been made on my prostitution. How did I survive prostitution? How did I get pr- to be a prostitute at 13 years old? Mm. How did you get through that? A fucking trans woman prostitute by the name of Naomi helped me out. And I'll never forget her name. Everybody else I've forgotten because, you know, she was my kind of like street mom. Street mom. It, it reminds me of... Um I can't remember the name of the film. I don't know if it's Volver or there's another one with Penelope Cruz, uh-huh. um, a Spanish film where she meets a trans prostitute in Spain. And I think that she kind of becomes her helper, but I can't remember the name of the film. But it's a brilliant film anyway. Right. It kind of, when, when you keep mentioning this woman, it keeps reminding me of that. Yeah, but yes. Because she ultimately, I think, ends up dying of AIDS as well, oh. this woman. It was um, terrible. When she died of AIDS, I didn't know about it until a year after it happened because I was no longer in the street. Uh, And the thing, what I need to clarify, though, is that I will always go back to visit the street, Mm -hmm. not to be part of the street. Yeah, yeah. But just because that's where, if that's where your roots are, that's where your roots are. You know, like like every opportunity I'll get, I'll donate something to the streets. Uh, Go check who's still on the streets. Uh, Nobody that I remember is still on the streets. Yeah. Uh, But at the same time, uh, it's just because it's where you come from or it's what helps you survive a certain part of your life with that. And seeing certain parts of the streets that you remember as, as a sleeping area or that you remember as where you used to pick up your johns no longer exists because it's been gentrified or whatever, or you're no longer welcome there as this. Uh, so does it still operate very much in the same way there? No, because now we have the internet. Oh, like, like yeah. internet saved prostitution. To, like, like, wow, how, how much more safe could you be? So if you're on the internet and you're advertising yourself as a prostitute but not saying you're a prostitute, yeah. uh, you don't have to worry about cops, you don't worry about... Uh, getting beat up because you you have a meeting at a certain place that is you know you're in control of that. Yeah, uh, we didn't have that in the, back in the day. There was none of that, you know. And the cops didn't help us if we got beat up. 
How how frequent were the beatings? No, that was early on. Okay, that was like you know that happened maybe five times in, okay. in my first. But after did you get beat up bad or was it? The first time, no. The third time, yes. Beat up where I couldn't work. I had to go to the hospital. And, oh my God. Yeah, and then the thing was that um, I didn't give any identification, so they couldn't figure out who I was. So I was a John Doe. They were gonna send me to. Uh, 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 what do you call it? Not, not juvenile detention, but uh, like, to, uh, like to some kind of uh, uh, foster living. Uh, and I ran away from that. You know, I'm like, I don't need to be here. You ain't got no rice. I'm Filipino. <laughs> and you so, did you, and you, were your parents aware of what, what what you were doing and what was happening? Uh, I had a revelation with my mom. I never told my dad. Okay. You know, just because I didn't care to tell my dad. I told my mom just because she's... Uh, she, when she wanted me to get sober, I, t I told her all the things I'd gone through. She was the one person in my bedrock that I could tell things to, with knowing that she would pray for me, but not stop loving me. Yeah. You know, uh, even when I came out gay to her, she was like, ah. I knew one of my sons were gay. I just thought it was, it was your younger brother. Right. And I told my brother that. He's like, because ah. my brother's a little more, uh, not feminine, but a little less a saucer spoken than I am. Okay. So she assumed he was the gay one, but then I was like, hey. Okay. But then she she told me, she goes, Robert, I will love you. She goes, it's not a sin to be gay. What's the sin is the gay sex. Okay. I was like, mom, do you see this? This is where she was like, basto. So I was like, you see this? I go, me throwing this out to uh, to celibacy would be a sin. <laughs> I'm like, let me show you my penis. And she's like, stop it, Robert. She's like, I'm basto small. I'm like, it's big, mom. It's big. And she's like, Robert, Robert, I know I'm your mom. I was like, uh huh. And you think I'm gonna be so? I'm gonna be celibate? No. You know, she would be like, she would laugh, but she would be a little, you know, that kind of like snicker, or she didn't want to laugh about it to, yeah. you know, feed the lions. So yeah, that was me. And so the last thing I wanted to, well, I mean, I could talk for hours, yeah. but. Um, I wanted to to talk about your recent um, to go back to the thing about the the beating the yeah. recent one. Oh yeah, because that was pretty crazy. Yeah, and I saw um, I saw on on Facebook whenever it was like a year ago or something. Yeah, um, just these photos of you with your face absolutely yeah. battered, yeah. like all black and bruised and horrible, and they smashed out some of your teeth, didn't they? Yeah. And yeah. so, can you explain a bit about what happened there? Well, uh, it was the night after drag. Uh, I was walking, uh, I had a cup of coffee in my hand, and this guy comes up behind me, whacks me in the head. I didn't know that he was be behind me. He hit me in the head, I got kind of dizzy. He apparently hit me with, with, a, with a club or a stick or something, because I found out later on. Uh, and he's a homeless guy uh, that lives in the park in front of my house. And as he was beating me, he was like, puto maricon. He's like saying things like, you come through here every fucking time and you dress like this and la, 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 la. And basically, you know, a hate crime. Uh, and I was like, being from L.A., you're, you're, you think you'd be ready for this shit, but God damn, it's been a long time since I've been approached in this way. I used to defend myself in a way, mm -hmm. but then when you get hit from the back, there's just no way you can like overcome that. Yeah. And then he got the better position of me. He got on top of me and started like beating my face, you know? So yeah, that's, that's pretty much what happened. And after that, I denounced him. But then you think about it, where's the justice? 
because he's homeless. Yeah. If he goes to jail, he gets a free bath, a free bed, free meals, and what? For beating me, you got all this for free? Yeah. And you're probably going to get free butt-fucking, too. You know, like, what? What? What's the, what's, what's the consequence for you, really? And then if not, he goes back on the street to go do the same thing again to another gay guy. You know, what? what's the consequence here? Like, I, I keep thinking, like, L.A. justice, street justice. Like, I want somebody to cut his Achilles heel, you know? I want somebody to circumcise him, even if he's already circumcised. I, like, honestly, it's just, there's no justice for me. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. really horrible, because I was thinking about it as well before, like, taking justice into your own hands as well. It's like, what does that even solve? It doesn't. And it's like, people like that, you know, who knows why he's homeless, who knows if he's maybe well i mean if he's beating someone he's not of sane mind yeah but that's another thing i hate hearing though is like when people when i tell people what happened they're like oh he's he must be crazy i'm like fuck that that was intentional it wasn't crazy no no but like you know, somebody yeah, somebody who's yeah, somebody yeah. who's well filled um, with hatred somebody's filled with hatred you know but that's the thing where, where people are like oh he must be mentally unstable or this or like you know he must not be all there i'm like no 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 when somebody does this they are all there and then some. Like, they, they have an intention to do this. Mm. If it bothered him so much that I walk through that park every Sunday and Friday in drag, and it, he notices it, this was planned. Yeah. This was a, an attempt to to batter me. Like, you know, and that's the thing where uh, I, I remember when it had happened, I was like, uh, I'm just going to take some pictures. And then I used those pictures to... Uh, uh, artistically express because I was like he's not going to take away my power to be beautiful or he's not going to take away my power to make this ugly into something uh, 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 powerful to speak you know and you saw them there, there's just this whole like uh, contrast between me and drag and me in the same position with my face beaten up yeah so it's like I don't know <coughs> are they are they online for people to see yeah they're on uh, my Instagram yeah. there, there are a few like uh, rolls down because yeah they're basically like they're basically you with the battered face and the bruise and stuff but then also like makeup and drag on, on yeah. the side so it's like this kind yeah. of like crazy contrast of, yeah. of that but yeah I just wanted to mention that there that it's not like I'm excusing him for being mentally unwell, but yeah, yeah. When, I, when I say mentally unwell, I mean his mind is not balanced in a way to be able to appreciate somebody yeah. just, they, they're not balanced. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're tilted over to one way towards yeah. hatred yeah, yeah. or towards violence or towards yeah. anger or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And they're not, they're not a sane person yeah. because no sane person yeah. does those horrible things. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, there is no justice because maybe... That person could reform and change their ways, yeah. but probably they won't. No. Um, no. And it's like, it's not up to you to go and be trying to change someone's mind. It's also not up to you to be going to just, you know, avenge yourself no, or something. Because it, it's like, then you run the risk of getting yourself yeah, yeah. in trouble. No, that's the thing, though. But the thing is that maybe four days after the, uh, the attack, he was back on the streets. Yeah. You know? And I So they did detain him? Yeah, they did. Okay. No, they caught him that same right, time. Right, right. Same, uh, the same time. Uh, they detained him for four nights, and then uh, I remember the, the the day I saw him in the streets again. Uh, I had gone to this is this, a little bit of my revenge. I had because him being homeless, he gets little freebie coffees here and there. He gets free cigarette, like a single cigarette from the estanco, and this and this and that. 
So I went around with my face beaten, and I told all of those places, I go, listen, the guy that's here on the street begging for money has done this to me out of hatred for being gay, out of hatred for being a drag queen. Whatever it is, it was a hate crime. And they're like, oh, my God. So every one of the places in his vicinity yeah. were now denying him any kind of service whatsoever. And I saw him at one of the estancos that he goes to. And then I looked at him face to face. I go, listen, I go, I'm, I'm face to face with you right now. You see what you've done? I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of you. And now that we're face to face, you want to fight? Do it. I go, do it. I go, because you did the cowardly thing. You attacked me from the back like a coward. I go, but now I'm talking to you. Estamos hablando aquí. Cara a cara. ¿Y ahora qué? No puede, you can't say anything? You're silent? You're no puto maracón. None of this is coming out of your mouth right now. What? What? I go, I'm here. I go, with my face beaten, but I'm ready. I go, I don't give a fuck. What, what are you going to do? And then he went into the cigarette store, and they're like, no, 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 you can't be, you can't have it here. No, you can't. Mm, he's like, I just want one cigarette. He's like, I've got money. They're like, nope, nope. The, the coffee, the, the bars and coffee shops are not giving him anything. So I made his life a little more difficult. He needs yeah. to go further out. But then he's always coming back, you know. I don't know why. Maybe it's because he's got a familia, the fucking tourists give him help, whatever. Yeah. You know, but I'm just like, no. No, no, no. And every time I see him begging on the streets, I'm like, this guy beats people up <laughs> out of the blue. People are like, what? I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he attacked me. And they're like, huh? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Show him the pictures, and they're like, oh, my God. And he gets uncomfortable. I'm like, yeah, what? I go, I'm not going to do what you did, but I'll make your life difficult. You're not going to get a free meal out of anybody around here. So he walks around with a chip on his shoulder. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Good. You know, but I think he can always pounce out again. So I'm always prepared now. Yeah. You know, I'm always prepared for that. I don't go out in a situation where there's nobody around, you know. It must be really difficult for you because if he still lives in the same area. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know where he lives, but yeah. He parks out somewhere. I mean, it's the Plaza de Sagrada Familia, so yeah. there's a lot of bushes on the other side. But yeah, so but I, I'm like I'm not a I'm not a victim of a hate crime. I'm a survivor of it. Yeah, you know that's one thing you got to look at is that I didn't go to the oh my god, poor me, poor me. I I really like day two after the whole incident, I went straight online. I'm like, listen, this is what happened to me, and you know, I just let people know what was going on. But, yeah, you know, but uh, I'm happy to have survived something like that. You know, and like I said, it's not my first, I, I had mentioned this before, I'm like, it's not the first time I've been beaten, you know, but it's the first time in my adulthood I've been beaten. Yeah. You know, where, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, why is this happening in 2023? Why? Yeah. Like, why Why is it happening? Uh, I think after the, the pandemic, uh, in, as a whole, we a world, as the world, have come back bad. I think a lot of people have come back selfish, hateful, uh, more arrogant. Like, like I thought the pandemic would have made us more a peaceful union because we survived something so grave, you know. But no, at the end of the day, people came back more aggressive, more hateful, more intolerant of things. Like, for fuck's sake, they're taking away LGBTQ rights in the USA. Mm, yeah. They're calling me as a drag queen 
a groomer and a pedophile. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, like, like it's come back twisted. You know, I'm like, why can't we just get along with what we got? We survived. Those of us that are still breathing right now survived COVID. And yes, it still exists, but we survived. Where yeah. the fuck is the empathy? Like, why did we become selfish? Why are people in general becoming more selfish rather than the opposite, the contrary to that? That I don't understand. You know? Yeah, I agree. And I think things like this, like your podcast and people speaking to other people or producing more art. And uh, one thing I got to say is that if you're an ally of, of uh, people of color or an ally of the LGBTQ uh, com uh, community, that you can't just be an ally. You have to aggressively be an ally. You can't just be anti-homophobia. You have to fight with us. You have to, because like I said, the, the, like, if you've got gay friends, it doesn't mean you're, you're cool. You know, you need to stand up. When you hear people sitting there going, oh, you fucking faggot, say something right then and there. Like, stop it. Help it stop. We scream at the top of our lungs. We want equal rights. We want visibility. We want this. But we need our hetero cis community to stand up behind us and say, no, 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 this is normal. Trans people are normal. Like, to help us fight for these things because if we do it ourselves, we just look cuckoo. Yeah. You know, we still have people saying trans people shouldn't exist. You know, that the trans community should not have the liberty to be in sports or the liberty to use the proper bathroom in, under their trans. Uh, as a woman, they should use the woman's bathroom, you know. But the fact that they can't even piss in public for, for like, in peace. What, you think we're going to molest the next person that walks in there? For what? Are you fucking kidding me? And so I think as the communities are concerned, as allies, I think y'all need to stand up with us. Like, you just do, because it, it, it's one thing to say you're an ally. It's one thing to help us produce this and this together. But fight, 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 because it's not, obviously it's not done. I just got beat up for this. Yeah. And... Uh, I'm sorry, but at the end of the day, when this had happened, uh, two people called me. Two people. You know, people that I thought would have called me didn't call me. And I'm not saying, wow, 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 poor me, poor me. I'm just saying the allyship needs to go harder than that. You know what I mean? It, it, it needs to go, like, support. It needs to be like, okay, what can we do? You know? And that sucks. It sucks that a lot of us don't feel that. Obviously, we get it from our family when we get kicked out of the house or things like this. And then what? You know? Mm. But we need to build stronger allyships uh, and, uh, I guess, warriors for the cause. You know? If it comes to going to the LGBT, uh, to the queer pride, which is happening this Sunday uh, or Saturday, uh, but don't just go there to check out the gay people on a parade or the drag queens that walk down the parade. It's not about that. You need, like, understand what pride is like a lot of things even the queer contingent today has forgotten that it's not a party it's not a reason to get high it's not a reason to go out and get laid by the next guy you meet on the fucking parade route no this is a reason we stand up for our, our our community and don't just be there for a party i mean it's a great party don't get me wrong but be there to be an ally you know come out 
support, fight, shout, you know, do what you can, learn about the community and see what there is to be done. Because there's a lot, you know. And I think a lot of my queer, uh, my, my not queer allies don't understand that there's so much more, you know. Yeah. There's so much more. I have, we have the, 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 the comedy community that's hosting a queer, uh, queer night. That's, it's, it should be an every night thing. Like this idea that it's a queer, to, to recognize queer pride. No, it should be an everyday thing, you know. It's not that just because it's queer pride month that let's have a queer pride event. You know, that's great. Don't get me wrong. It's great. But it's kind of like Christmas. Why is that the only time you give gifts? Yeah, yeah. You know, why is this the only time we're going to do a queer event? You know, there should be queer events all the time to stop this kind of shit from happening. Normalize queer. You know, don't, don't be like, oh, are you trans? You know, or is that a man or a woman? Stop asking questions. For what? What the? And if I say yes or no, what? What then? Yeah. You know, start educating yourselves to understand that we as a community have fought so hard already, and it would help so much to help us normalize who we are, to be alongside us in the journey. You know, alongside us in the fight, not just on one month a year. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm queer 100% of the time. You know, 12 months a year I'm queer. But you don't get recognized for that. Because what? Because it's not Queer Pride Month. Yeah. You know? So that's the thing. I, I, I try to avoid the idea that, oh, okay, for, for Queer Pride, let's put Queer Pride flags. Uh, fuck your flags. No. No. No, no, no. The flag should be up all the time. Otherwise, no. Yeah. No. That banner should be flying high all the time if you're Queer Pride friendly or Queer Pride, uh, queer pride ally. You know, either way, you need to fly it high and proud because we're here. It's not just once a month that we're here. Yeah. We don't escape the pantry at this time of the month. You know, I'm sorry, but that's just the way I feel. Yeah, because I've always, I've struggled a little bit with, um, it's, it's the same as greenwashing, you know, it's like queer washing and greenwashing yeah. that companies do and once a, once for one week or one month per year or whatever there's just like flags everywhere and yeah. then they just go away and I'm like yeah. it's just kind of like jumping on the bandwagon yeah. and then because everyone jumps on the bandwagon it loses its actual value exactly. because you're just like instead of seeing like one flag this week and one flag in three months and one yeah. flag there yeah. where it becomes part of everyday life it's like yeah. you just see this big bunch of stuff now yeah. then you forget about it for a year then you see this big bunch of stuff again yeah. so for it's like for, for the for you know, regular people who, you know, just especially like older generation who maybe they're not in their daily lives exposed to gays and, yeah. and queers or whatever, um, that then it doesn't become part of regular life. And yeah. so it's kind of just like, it kind of irritates me when yeah. companies and, and businesses and stuff do that type of stuff. I'm like, well, you're just jumping on the bandwagon and you're just diluting. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're literally diluting the message and doing the reverse yeah. of what you're trying to yeah. do. When in reality, you could just make some tiny little changes. Yeah, exactly. But make those changes consistent. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then it, it would should be, be progress, not... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's I mean, just, it's, it's, it's really stupid. But I'm kind of the, a little bit the same with, 
You mentioned Christmas there. Yeah. I'm kind of a little bit the same with the Christmas tree. Yeah. I keep mine up for ages. Yeah. Because I'm like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Why are we just putting it up when everyone else has got their tree yeah. Yeah. all in the same time yeah. for three weeks or whatever? Yeah. Then you get rid of it. You dress the whole tree up yeah. and everything. Make your house look really nice. Yeah. Then you're supposed to take all your decorations down. Yeah. I left my fairy lights up, like my little yeah. Christmas fairy lights. I left them up for like two years. Yeah, disco. Because yeah. I'm just like, yeah. what? This is so ridiculous. Yeah, like, yeah, why yeah. are we just doing this cool, nice thing yeah. where we make our homes really nice yeah. for three weeks and then yeah. we just get rid of it all? Yeah. Wait till next year. It's bizarre. Yeah, yeah. It is bizarre. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, traditions like this. And I, I don't want, that's the thing. I, I, I feel like things like queer pride is a tradition it's not a tradition it's a way of life yeah yeah you know it's not a, a, a once a year thing it's it's a way of life and that's one thing people forget people of the normal community uh seem to think it's a party for once one part of the year it definitely is promoted like that and it's just like oh it's queer pride month Okay, cool. Let's go travel around Queer Pride. And, oh, my God, I'm such an ally. No, stop. You're not. You're a groupie. Yeah, yeah. That's you're you're, you're yeah. a gay groupie. That's all you are. You want to suck gay dick and hope. You know, like, this is where my head goes. Yeah, you know, yeah. And I, I get tired of the idea that I'm proud of who I am one, like, 12 months a year. 12 months a year every fucking day of those years. I don't, I'm not going to pull back, I'm not going to hold back, and I'm proud of who I am, you know. I'm not going to stop just because some fucking homophobe beat me up. I'm not going to stop. What, you think that made me straight all of a sudden? Oh my God, I want to fuck pussy. No, that didn't happen. I'm sorry, you didn't beat the gay out of me. I'm sorry, fucking Our Lady of Lourdes didn't cure me with her magic water either. And no gay conversion and therapy. And no gay conversion <laughs> therapy for their fucking, not even a fucking a ham and cheese sandwich would fucking change me gay, fucking straight. And that's the thing is that this idea that queer is accessible on a, uh, on a once a year basis is not true. Yeah. Uh, if you want queer, follow your queer friends. Let them know we're here to support. Go to a fucking gay club and not worry about somebody trying to pick up on you. Don't go to a gay club and just be like, oh my God, I feel so safe in here because I'm a girl and nobody picks up on me. Girl, you like those. You love gay. You don't blame us for making you safe. That's why you want to hang out with us. Like, nor, do, nor make it a trendy thing. No, like, no, no, no. That's it's that. like to be fashionable. It's like it's fashionable yes. to be kind of like queer yeah. involved in that type of oh thing oh my god I know a drag queen yeah yeah <laughs> I watch RuPaul's Drag Race I, that you know it, it, it always it speaks volumes of how a Karenicity starts you know where you're just like but are you uh, like are you an ally are you really an ally like what 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 fights have you fought or do you know how gay pride started do you know who started it do you know that was a queer black trans woman prostitute that started this with a Latina prostitute at 17 years old. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the idea that these things are left behind, and it's just a big party for people, especially the straight people that come into Great Pride, uh, because they feel comfortable. I get that. Well, that's wonderful. You know, we didn't always feel comfortable. Yeah. You know, you're welcome for feeling comfortable in our space, but y'all didn't help us feel this comfortable. We made this happen. We fought for this. And now you're taking uh, taking profit from the idea that we're having we're fun, 
more fun. We throw suds in our fucking, you know, circuit parties and you have to find your friends in a fucking pile of suds. You know, like what? It's a bubble machine. All of a sudden somebody's lost somewhere sucking dick. And what? Like, like this is not what Queer Pride was started for. Yeah, it's almost like a commodity at the moment. Because yeah. it's like, like you're saying, like gays are like the the fun things and we're yeah. going to put us on some like theme and they do have really cool stuff yeah, going yeah, on yeah. in fairness because yeah like, like jobs yeah <laughs> and, it's, and it is really cool but now it is just like a commodity again and it's just like pumping into that yeah. industry of like okay we're going to be all these like yeah. false friends and false allies yeah. and i've i've wanted for a long time to be able to 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 do more but then the only things I see I'm sort of repelled by because, like, you know, the whole kind of... Anal sex. <laughs> not into that, unfortunately. Um, but um, it's no more like the, what I mentioned about, like, the pride washing yeah. and the same way you see, like, green washing it's, companies. It's, and I'm just like, okay, this is not... This, all this of it is, is like, 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 okay, corporations see the pink pound. Yeah. It's, it's like, wow, those gays know how to spend. Yeah, yeah. They like to go all out and they buy top shelf alcohol all the time. You know, that's it. Like, like a lot of it, we spend money. Gays spend a lot of money to make a party happen. We'll spend lots of money to make it look perfect. But at the same time, uh, it, yeah, the whole greenwashing and the, the, the pink pound washing and all this stuff, it just goes to the idea that when is this going to stop? Oh, after a month. And then we go back to normal. Primark has gay things going on, and then it's then just they, get rid of them. They, they get rid of them, you know. And then they go. They don't even go on discount, mind you. Fuck that. So weird. I was just like, don't you have a, like a fifty percent off in August for this stuff? Like you should, uh, but it, it's we're a hot thing once a year. Mm. We're hot. Oh my God, you're gay, you know. Oh my God, and even straight people are like, "Hey," you know. It's just like it's all right. You don't need to talk like that. Are um, you um? Have you seen the film Pride, the British film Pride? No. Oh, it's it so good? good. So it, it's a relatively old film now, um, but it's got a couple of big names in it. But it's based on a true story okay. of basically how. Uh, when the mines were being shut down in, I think it's in Wales and then parts of northwest England, okay. um, the miners went on strike and they were like really suffering yeah. um, because they had no money. They were getting paid nothing. They were on strike. Yeah. And then basically the gay community, so I think this must have been back in the late 70s and 80s, okay. um, and the gay community then ended up helping the miners uh, protest even yeah, though a lot of I these miners see, were really, I did see this yeah where they they, they, they made them do a, a a little cabaret thing was that it I, I can't remember I can't remember the, the exact details of it but they ended up basically working together even though loads of like obviously the miners were you kind of stereotypical yeah. like blokes they like men that were kind of like, 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 like being involved yeah. with the gays but then it also included in it is he was the first person to be diagnosed with HIV, HIV yeah. in the UK. Okay. Um, and he's involved. He He's like, it's sort of about him. He's one of the main characters. Yeah. But it's like, got loads of songs here, but it's just a brilliant film. I've seen no, it a couple I did of times. Yeah, yeah, I, I did. Like, uh, we're, we're one of, like, there was a group of them who were like, I'm not going to work with this fairy. And then they ended up putting it all together. I think if I'm right, I think they showed it. I think the time that I went to... I think they put it on a Monjuic cinema here. Oh, did they? Um, one time. But I think either I couldn't go or it was the time I went and then it got called off because of rain. Oh. Uh. Because um, it's like an outdoor cinema. But um, 
Yeah, I, I did to... see it. I now, now I remember which one you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I have so many more questions I'd like to ask, but of I need course. to wrap it up yeah, now. Yeah, of course. Um, but I'd love to get you back on in the future. All right. But before we end, yeah. you've already given us so much, but I always ask for... Okay, hold on. Words, <laughs> words of wisdom from Bobby Bastos, if you could condense. Uh, well, first of all, empathy is important. Always, I, I, I know it's really do. It's a, it's a good word to hear. A lot of times, people say that they're empathic or they, they, they uh, value empathy, honesty, communication. But how often did you do it? Question yourself with that, because honestly, when you think about this. How often do you share that with yourself? Remember that the things that you want to produce to other people or you want people to see about yourself, do you really follow your own advice? Do you really reach out to people and say, I'm impact- I, I, I want to hear your story? Or do you just want to have a little small talk story? Like, how empathic are you? Where, where does your limit of empathy go? Where does your value of yourself go like a lot of times people say yeah empathize with that person you know sympathize no empathize with them but what does that mean to you when i think of empathy i think i need to reach into my little self inside and be like okay robert you are forgiven you are okay you will make it like i was telling you earlier i don't believe it sometimes like yeah Starting over? No, I'm just starting a new job, Dad. It doesn't mean I lost all my time, but I really felt like I did. Yeah. I had to reach for that empathic ticket out of I don't know where to find myself, to say, you have to believe what you just said because it was really good. What you just said was really good. It makes so much sense, but why are you not believing it? Yeah. You know, like, like, a lot of the advice you give to people is so good, whoever you are. And when you're t- talking to a friend, you give them advice, you hardly follow it yourself. Yeah. A lot of people are like this. It's not abnormal. It's more normal than it is abnormal to not follow your own advice. And that also is a fucking pillowcase cover. You know, you're just like, listen, follow your own advice. But that is a word of wisdom for me. Follow the advice you give to other people because... of the time, it comes from the right place. And empathy is what it is. So empathize with yourself before you empathize somebody else because that's, what's the point? What's the point? If you can't follow your own advice, what's the point in giving brilliant advice? That is some wonderful, that's some wonderful advice. Um, And I hope that you take your own advice. I hope so. (laughs) I hope you take your own advice by giving that. Yeah. Yeah, but... It, empathy does start with yourself. Yeah. It really does. Otherwise, you can't. Yeah. You can't do it. I think a lot of people don't see that, though. No. Or they don't recognize that. They don't recognize that. They think it. empathy is a two-way street, and you being the, the receiver of my empathy is worth everything. Yeah. Well, it's been an amazing talk. Such a pleasure. Before we finish, I have one last gift for you. Oh, my God. Is a cum towel. No, it's not. Oh, it's not a cum towel. Oh, it's oh, a Quest <laughs> Wisdom T-shirt. All right. <laughs> I got, oh, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Look. Basically, it's everything. Oh, wait. Quest. Oh, wait. Hold on. How do I do this without fucking up the camera? Okay, there. So, you see that? Ooh, look. Boop. T shirt on the screen. <laughs> Thank amazing. you. Um, give me a hug. All right. Hold on. Hug it out. Oh, oh, thank you so much. That was so good. <laughs> thank you.
Thank you, everybody. Um, Thank oh, you. Follow the follow. Well, I'll put links in in the description yeah, for where that. they can find you. Yeah. Um, and Friday nights at Rubar. Friday nights at Rubar if you're in Barcelona, and all your links for your social medias and everything. All right. So thank you, everybody. All right, thank you. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Quest for Wisdom podcast with your host, Connor Monaghan. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to support the show, then please like it, subscribe, and leave a review on whichever platform you are using. This small act is a massive help and is hugely appreciated. You can find more information about all of our guests on thequestforwisdom.com and follow us at The Quest for Wisdom on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for exciting updates. We also have a Patreon account for anyone who would like to contribute towards the running of the show. Finally, I would like to thank the Comedy Clubhouse in Barcelona for allowing us to record here and for their ongoing support. If you are ever in Barcelona, make sure to check it out for daily shows of comedy and performance art in English. Farewell for now.